I'm Radio Roger, and you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. W-A-P-G, it's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 351. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at the APG headquarters. Today's show was recorded on the 30th of November, 2018. Today's episode, Aviation News, your feedback, and this week's plane tale, a classic, Joe Gilmore Revisited. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on, flight 351 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we talk about aviation news and answer your feedback. And uh, joining me today to help with that is from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Good to see you. Helps if I remember to unmute myself. I almost forgot there. Ah, At the you very last that. second, push <laughs> the button. So I'll count that as a win for the evening. It will be my only one. Yes. Oh, oh, that's not true. That is not true. Good to see you, Steph. And also joining us from across the pond, his recording studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, currently captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick. Good evening, APGs all around the world. Great to be back on the show and looking forward to a good one. Looking forward to it as well. And also, last but not least, from his stately southern mansion in Smyrna, Georgia, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, party boat skipper, connoisseur of many, many fine beverages, and <laughs> captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana. I miss you guys. It's so good to be back. It's Yay. been quiet. So, anyways, looking forward to another fantastic episode, 351 ahead. We are looking forward to it as well. All right. Well, let's catch up with everybody here. What has everybody been doing this week? Uh, Dana, We let's start with you because uh, you haven't been on the show for a while, so... Uh, What's happening, man? Yeah, I've actually been out there flying the friendly skies. I uh, had a uh, couple trips, um, worked the 12th, 13th, and 14th, and then um, worked the 19th through 24th. I uh, know, excuse me, 23rd. So, uh, and had my line check, my first line check as a captain. So, and that went, uh, well, nobody ever goes through that unscathed. Uh, however, it wasn't uh, all that bad. So, um I've been uh, working quite a bit. Uh, my trip on the uh, on the twelfth took me to such great places, and, and that's why I wasn't here last time. But I got to visit Birmingham and Baltimore, 
um, Baltimore when I got there. Birmingham was completely uneventful. Um, and the flying, uh, yeah, that was a little rough uh, trip there. Uh, that was during, there was a lot of weather that week. Um, and I'm still a, a high minimums captain. So until I get to 100 hours, uh, I still have to add either 100 uh, foot to the minimums or um, half mile. Or the other one is I can use a cat to auto land procedure that is an exemption that we can apply if uh, I meet those certain criteria, which I do. So it wasn't a major issue. So anyways, I got to my favorite Baltimore uh, uh, layover um, restaurant. Actually, my favorite, one of my favorite in the system. That's La Scala up there in Baltimore. Uh, very short notice, so I'm sorry. Um, I didn't make any uh, plans up there in Baltimore. You know who I'm talking about. Um, is he in? Is he in the closet? By the way, hopefully he's not listening. Uh, right now. I think he is. Yes. Okay. It's been very quiet so far. So knock on the door and say hello to Hillel for me. <laughs> okay. But anyways, that's why I didn't uh, reach out to you, Hillel. And uh, so that was that trip. Then the the uh, <clears throat> following week is uh, my trip that I was actually a four day backed up with a a day line that was um, that was assigned to me, and uh, that was again as I mentioned, it was my line check. Uh, my line check was uh, between the cities of Atlanta and Sarasota. Um, and weather in both places wasn't bad. Uh, as a matter of fact, got a uh, uh, vectored in for a short visual into Sarasota, landing north. And that presented a few challenges because, you know, they want to see us using the automation instead of me clicking everything off and hand flying the airplane. So that kind of got me into a little goat rope, but uh, straightened it all out and uh, was had no problem getting the aircraft on the ground, fully stabilized and uh, excellent, uh, excellent FOs. Uh, I must admit, uh, everybody I've flown with so far has been uh, very supportive, very helpful, and um, um, very easy to work with. So, um, helping me to become, uh, you know, to build up my experience as a new captain and uh, make those decisions. So, uh, other than that, I had an overnight in Nashville. That was a return trip for me. I was uh, one of the reasons why I missed, I think, 348. Or was it 349? One of the two. 350? Uh, uh, no, the, the one previous. Oh, you're talking about a long time ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. When I went, went out to Nashville for the uh, weekend for the Patriots game. Uh, oh, I had, that's right. Yep, and then I had a return trip to Nashville on the 20th. And I worked over Thanksgiving, of course. No big deal. I've had a lot of time off, and I'm not complaining one bit. And then I had a day line uh, the next day, and I just went up to Baltimore and back, and then done. So that's what I have been up to. That's why I have not been uh, on the show very much, because I've actually been out working when everybody's recording. Uh, and it's my first opportunity to be home uh, and on the show for a change. So it's great to be here. We're glad you're here with us, Dana. We missed you. Missed you guys, too. So, uh, Steph, how about yourself? What have you been up to? Mute. I told you I would not remember that again later. <laughs> I don't know why. It's a mental block for me today. Not usually a problem, but eh, whatever. Um, so yeah, after I talked with you all briefly for the first part of the last show, um, day after Thanksgiving, so Friday last week, correct? Um, spent a little bit more time hanging out with uh, the friends and family that we were visiting and uh, drove back from the Knoxville area back to the Charlotte area Friday night. Thought we would be out of there in time to avoid the rain. And we thought wrong about that. Um, as we left, it all kind of just blossomed on the, the radar. And it was quite rainy. And then it got quite cold. Um, 
Fortunately, I didn't see any snow or ice or anything like that, but it was, you know, starts getting down to around the freezing point and you're driving through these, you know, not terribly high mountain passes, but curvy roads and things like that. But everything turned out just fine. Made for kind of a long night, but no big deal. And then I spent uh, much of the next two days doing, um, I think the pilots in the group will be familiar with uh, computer-based training. Yay. Eight hours worth on Friday. Eight hours. Uh, oh, I still have eight another hours. 29 yeah, no, you, hours to go before the end of the year, which means do. I've got 31 days to do another 29 hours of No, 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 just go training. straight to the questions. And just I can't. You can't. You have to. Sit there what? and click each slide after it finishes playing. How far? Oh no! Uh, after it finishes playing, mm -hmm. damn. Hey, Doc. So it's not even like you can disappear because it won't just play. It won't play through. It records how much time you've been sitting there. But oh, you're joking? No, I'm serious. Can it tell if you're sitting there or on the toilet? No. So fortunately, <laughs> you can take it with you to the toilet or. <laughs> Dr. Seth, I can absolutely sympathize with you because I'm doing my CFI renewal oh, sure. right now, bad. which is, is just as bad. You have to sit there and click, and it won't let you move forward until you've spent an hour on each module. It's right. crazy. Yeah. So I it's, sympathize with you. No fun. So I'll be doing that in most of my spare time for the rest of the year. Yay. Part yeah. of that is my own fault because they do suggest that you do about eight hours a year to meet your 40 hours in a five-year window. And um, I discovered that I had only done three in the past four years last month. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because all that other, uh, it, so there's two different categories basically for us for different types of continuing education. This is one that has to be done specifically through the academy that my board certification is done through. And I didn't realize that I couldn't use some of the other stuff I'd been doing. So that's why, yeah. That's Can why they've been sending me nasty emails saying, hey, you haven't met your requirements yet. You're coming up on a deadline for requirements. I'm like, what are you talking about? I've done like 150 hours of, you know, continuing education credits. Oh, well, yeah, only, City, only three of those counted towards this other 40-hour part. You still have to have those other 150 hours. But then there's... Oh, you could double and dip on them. Is this just them, to, uh, to maintain your certification? Maintain my board certification is what it's for. Oh, man. It sounds like you'll be very bored. Uh, can you do I, it on your what? It's absolutely, absolutely named. No, unfortunately. I can't even. They don't have an app for your uh, Apple Watch? I can't even figure out how to get it all my, um, I mean, they actually come, a lot of them are di through different companies that they've approved. So this particular one was sitting in front of the computer for eight hours. It was actually very good. I learned a lot from it. Um, and probably a good refresher on stuff that I use on a regular basis, namely uh, radiation safety with fluoroscopy. But then it started to get oh, into some of, the, uh, some of the uh, details about the physics of x-rays and things like that. And I was just like, uh, it, it, meh, not necessary. Um, but most of it was very good. Um, I do have one that is just, uh, it involves going through a recent journal and reading basically all of the articles in there and then filling out questions at the end in an online format. And then there's a couple other ones that are computer-based still. But anyway, I will... Um, get back to those computer-based training, continuing medical education credits uh, sometime this weekend, probably while I'm on an airplane traveling to Florida for a quick 24-hour trip, visit some family, see a football game, enjoy the nice warm weather, even though it's going to be warm here tomorrow. There yeah, you go. it's going to be warm. And then it's going to get cold, uh, again. cold again, I, I think, know. next week. Yeah. But I'll take 80 degrees and near the beach for a day. It's fine. 
Well, I would do that as well. Tendency to do that, you know. One minute it's hot, then it's cold, and then it's hot again, then it's cold. Well, it should stop. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Variety is the spice of life. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Um, Nick, have you been up to anything interesting in the last since the last episode? Well, for me, very interesting. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah had a had a marvelous trip to Berlin. Uh, and rather than try and explain it all, uh, there is some audio. Some audio? Yay! So oh. you could all go and have 15 minutes break now. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, I'm going to play it. Uh, 15 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. It's a short, but it's a short uh, plain tale today. Oh, so, so you had to compensate yeah. somewhere, I see. Yeah. That's right. Compensations. Mm-hmm. Hi, Jeff. It's Captain Nick here. I'm in Berlin, one of the places I used to live in when I was younger, and the old man was uh, an airline pilot flying out of Tempelhof. And uh, we're staying here courtesy of one of our fantastic listeners, Tillman, who is himself a a pilot and uh, runs a fabulous hotel here, the Circus Hotel and the Circus Brewery and the Circus Hostel. Um, Fantastic places. Uh, And, of course, Steph has been here before, uh, and I've managed to corner Tillman. He's a very busy man. And we're at the top of a fabulous building uh, in Berlin, having a lovely afternoon tea. Tillman, what's special about this place? Well, um, thank you very much. This place is called KDW, which is Kaufhaus des Westens. And we are trying very hard to be a little bit like Harrods. Of course, we're not, but we're trying. And um, up here, the top two floors are heaven because that's the two food courts. And we are sitting here having beautiful cake. And full disclosure, first thing that Nick did was he made me drunk before he pushed a microphone <laughs> in my face. Yeah, I have to say, we, we did open a small bottle of champagne uh, in honor of uh, meeting Tillman again. The last time we met was... Farnborough, yeah. two Farnboroughs ago, so that's four years ago. That's four years ago. That's quite a long time ago, yeah. Okay, instant correction required. That was only two and a half years ago. Absolutely. What's happened since then? Well, um, not as much flying as I would like to have because uh, the job and the family is getting in the way of that. Um, but I've had... a. Uh, the occasion to host an APG meetup with Steph when she came to Berlin to run the marathon. You know, the the crazy things that she does, like running in circles for hours and hours and hours. (laughs) And, but I have to say, she took it quite well and she still managed to drink like a fish afterwards. That's amazing. How does she do that? I don't know. I honestly don't. Um, It's, uh, sometimes I think she's not from this world. Well, I I think we're pretty sure of that. Much too smart to be on the APG as well. Um, and in addition, she was very complimentary about your beer. Well, um, I hope that you can see for yourself uh, tonight or tomorrow. And we are a pretty modest place, but there is not really a discussion. We make the best beer in the world. <laughs> That's fantastic. Not at all a, a large claim. Um, Tillman, while we're here, we're here to see the Christmas markets, um, but apart from that, uh, anything special you think we ought to look at aviation-wise? Um, I would like to say many nice and smart things, but aviation is kind of a touchy subject in Berlin. As you may or may not know, we've been trying to build an airport for 10 years. 
with not a lot of success and one would think it's not rocket science and one would think that the Germans are able to build things but it turns out we're not so aviation wise Berlin is kind of a desert I well, have to say. I'm, I'm, I know it's not entirely a, a desert because uh, I'm going to try and get off to Tempelhof uh -huh. Airport, yeah. which uh, is no longer an airport, but it, the terminal, which is a fantastic example of German mm -hmm. architecture stretching uh, back to the uh, 30s and 40s. Um, and it's the airport my father used to fly out of when uh, he operated in and out of Berlin. And it has a fa famous history. Yeah. It's um, actually by the time it closed, at, at the time it closed, it was the oldest uh, commercial airport still in operation. On this field, um, Orville Wright did a um, demonstration of his flying machine. That's one of the very first examples of wow. flying there. And I, I, I suppose they did some airship flying there. And then um, it still has the round form that you see at very old airports before they really had runways when it was just basically a field and the, um, the uh, old airplanes would always have to start uh, directly into the wind. So um, yeah, unfortunately a few years back they closed it for aviation but it's a beautiful park now and you can actually play and walk and cycle and run on the runway. Isn't that amazing? I'm surprised Steph wasn't running around there a few times at least. Brilliant. Now we're going to have a meet-up uh, in your fantastic circus brewery. Um, now that's Tuesday, that's tomorrow night, tomorrow but night. sadly you won't be there. Unfortunately not. It's uh, so sad due to circumstances out of my control, is that how you say it? Absolutely. I can't be there, so when we planned the, um, the meet-up I didn't know that I wouldn't be in Berlin. So very, very unfortunate, but I trust that you'll make a little recording and I can listen to that on the show then. I, I shall, and I bought the magic mug all the way from London. Very good. It's, it's very in my good. room waiting. I, I've, I've held it up to the brewery, but it hasn't filled up yet. Do I, I actually have I, to go there? I, yeah, you actually have to go there. Uh, I talked to the barman. He has the magic wand, and that'll make <laughs> the mug full. Excellent. I can't and, wait. And, and you, have to, you have to make sure that uh, you take him home this after that. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's Julia's job. Exactly right. Anyway, well, thank you very much indeed. The next you'll hear from us is uh, at the Circus Brewery with the rest of the team during the meetup. But thank you very much indeed, Tilma. Have fun for that, and thank you. Jeff, it's Nick, and uh, this is uh, APG Meetup Part 2. So we're chatting to Tilman, and now it's the very next day. Tilman is in Portugal, and we're in the amazing Circus Brewery. And I'm sitting down here. It's incredible. I always find this, you know, quite gobsmacking when here I am. I'm in Berlin and I live in London. Beside me is Fred, who's come all the way from buddy San Francisco. Now, how does that work that we can meet up here in Berlin? He was in London the other day. I don't know. Man of mystery. Fred, how you doing? Hey, guys. And <laughs> I won't ask you what you're doing here because I know that you're a very secretive man. Uh, we all think you work for the Central Intelligence Agency, but uh, you'll just have to um, not affirm or deny that, I guess. I mean, if I had to pick a cover, it would definitely be this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, being an aviation geek, I think it'd be a great cover. I was just plane spotting, sure. Um, no, I was in Europe for some business and. You know, Europe is small, like all of us Americans think, and so I spent the five and a half hours coming here this morning from Frankfurt to hang out with you guys today. So. 
You did actually have some work to do in Berlin, didn't you? I, I did, I did, I did. So I went to the office today, did a little bit of work, and then snuck out for an amazing dinner. Thank you, Nick. And, oh, don't uh, thank me. I, all I did was pick the restaurant. We, we all thank Fred. I meant for the company. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's brilliant. Uh, thank you very much, Fred. Amazing that we can meet up halfway around the world. Isn't that marvelous? Anytime. I, I, appreciate, I enjoy it, so why not? Now, uh, G- um, Fred's going to hand up the mic on to Jilly. Who wasn't paying attention. Who wasn't paying attention. And uh, uh, you're in Berlin, uh, because I'm in Berlin, which is marvellous. What are we doing in Berlin? We're having a grand time. <laughs> doing what? Uh, visiting Christmas markets, drinking yeah. too much, eating too much, and generally having a wonderful time. And but meeting up with APGers. That does sound pretty good, and I quite like that. Anything you'd like to say to the community at large? Yeah, you should come and join us. It's good fun. <laughs> Excellent. Brilliant. Uh, and next, we have Fabian. Hi, Fabian. Hi there. How's it been going? Good. Excellent. Now, um, you flew in specially? Yes, I did. Uh, took a um, monorail flight this morning and did some plane spotting. And uh, Plane spotting? No. Yes. Really? Yes. Some plane spotting at Tegel and... and <laughs> <laughs> And then took the uh, subway uh, to the hostel and walked around town a little and met you for dinner, which was quite nice. Absolutely. And now this is your second meetup here at the Hostel Brewery. It is. That's true. Yeah. A good spot. It is. That's true. Yeah. And we have a quiz tonight. So not only is it an APG meetup, but we're going to quiz and we need to give ourselves a name. What's it going to be? Well, I think APG crew should be our name. Isn't that obvious? Uh, that sounds perfectly good, yeah. A, a little uh, little straight, but very good. Uh, now, finally, before uh, we hand off back, uh, if there's anyone else going to pitch up, we'll include them later on. But I'm dying to hear uh, Fabian tell me in German what my hovercraft is full of eels sounds like. <laughs> what is eels? An eel is a wiggly uh, thing like a snake that swims in a river. An eel. Ah, an eel. Yes. So <laughs> in German, my hovercraft is full of eels. Well, we say hovercraft too. I th- no, I you don't. I you don't say Luftkissenfahrzeug. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's oh, right. I don't believe this. <laughs> <laughs> On you go there, Fabian. <laughs> so my hovercraft... Craft is full my of l- eel. My Luftkissenfahrzeug is full. My my Luftkissenfahrzeug is full with eel. There you go. That's <laughs> you heard it from the horse's mouth. It took a little bit of getting out of him. All right, we're going to pause for a little while until the rest of the team arrive. But we're here on our own. Oh, and by the way, Tillman, thank you very much indeed. Uh, even though. Uh, uh, Cullum wasn't in the bar, and the barman knew nothing about my magic mug. It has magically filled up. Way! Woo! We continue, and uh, the latest arrival is Tim. Now, Tim has an interesting point in his flying training. Tim, tell us where you've got to and what is in future for you. Uh, So I just finished my multi-engine instrument rating. Uh, which I did on top of my CPL, which I acquired earlier. So uh, I hope Dr. Steph will welcome me to the club. I'm Uh, sure she will. (laughs) And um, I'm waiting to start basic jet orientation and multi-crew qualification uh, later this week, actually. Uh, And finally go on with the typewriting on the A320 in the beginning of next year. That is fantastic. And how long uh, ago did you start? Uh, I started in February last year. 
Brilliant. Making good progress. You and Fabian will have a lot to talk about tonight. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, any hints you can pass on to people who are thinking about taking up a career in aviation? I think it used to be not a very good point in time to start, but right now, like, everyone's desperate. There's, there's road shows everywhere. The flight school where I'm going to, they... They're on Instagram and they're, they're basically everywhere looking for people to start the training. They have more slots for training than they have people to fill them. So if you're thinking about it, do it now. Don't, don't hesitate. Excellent. Get ahead of it and then you'll be one step above everyone else on the seniority list. Yeah, that's always a good thing. <laughs> that is the most <laughs> important thing. Brilliant. Anyway, great to see you here. Your first time at a meetup, is it? Uh, yes, it is. Fantastic to see you here, and uh, thanks very much. We'll wait for the next person to come. Okay, Jeff, uh, we're the, hopefully, not hopefully, this is probably our last guest here tonight at the meetup, and this is Henry. Hi, Henry. Hello, Nick. Hello, everybody. Hi. Uh, now, you're a glider pilot, or used to be, not so much nowadays. Uh, not so much these days, no, but I used to, uh, used to have a real, real cool summer and did my solo in a glider, yes. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. And you've kept up an interest in aviation ever since. Yes, yes. I did, uh, did a lot of flying on the uh, PC simulator and uh, uh, made some, uh, had all, almost a professional introduction to, into aviation, uh, but I didn't stick there. And, uh, well, I, I kept my interest in aviation very much so, yes. It sounds like there's a little story there. Yes, there's a, there's a story behind everything. Excellent. We must talk at length later. But we've got, uh, this has been quite a long uh, little bit for the show, so I'm just going to keep it uh, a little bit short. But um, tell me, what's your favorite part of the APG? Uh, the favorite part is, of course, the intro music. <laughs> after, after that, it's going to be a steep decline. Yeah. <laughs> and who said the Germans didn't have a sense of humor? As a matter of fact, I really like being here, uh, seeing you, meeting you in person for the first time, uh, seeing some of the guys before. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this evening. Excellent. Well, so am I. Apparently it's quiz night here at the brewery. So we're relying on Henry and Tim and Fabian to uh, translate and answer all the questions. And then we're going to win a big prize. Can't wait. Um, the quiz is in English, Nick. Oh. <laughs> so, Damn. No excuses. No, there. no excuses. I hope right. it's I hope it's not about aviation because otherwise we are uh, we are yeah stuck. we're going to be stuck. Well, yeah. we'd only get fifty percent, wouldn't we? Oh, that's all right. Brilliant. Okay, Jeff, back to you. Well, thank you. Thanks for that nice <laughs> that short uh, meetup. Oh my gosh, all of that was fantastic. Sounds like it was awesome. Oh, Who was that, that last guy? Yeah. <laughs> As you can Tim? tell, we that were having a good time. Oh, is that Henry? <laughs> yes. Henry, you're a very funny guy. <laughs> yeah. Actually, to be fair, they were all very funny. We, we had a yeah. we had a fine evening, and we made it just over the fifty percent on the marks. We came fourth in the quiz. Uh, which Did you win anything? Too bad. No, we weren't allowed to because we had one too many people. Uh, uh, cheaters. Fun. Cheaters. Yeah, we Got were. Yep. Yeah, they spotted that. So. Uh, uh, oh well. Anyway, oh, was a lot of fun. isn't that a wonderful uh, place for a meetup? It's such a cool little uh, brewery Absolutely. and bar spot in the, the town. Uh, the brewery is a little bijou brewery, but it, I noticed they feature in several good beer guides for Berlin, so that's brilliant. And it was uh, great to make some uh, new friends, meet some new APG listeners. 
great with uh, with interesting backgrounds. Uh, and of course, lovely to catch up with uh, Fred uh, and Fabian again. Um, and uh, that was basically a, a, a lovely time. We, Julie and I, had a thoroughly nice uh, break there. Saw the sites, wandered around, saw some museums. More importantly, wandered around lots of Christmas fairs, drinking gallons of Glühwein and Jaeger mm. uh, tea, and uh, among various other things. So, Glühwein mit Shush. Sush. Shush. Rum, basically. Oh, Shush. okay. I was like, I don't know. It's not sugar. It's not. <laughs> so, no, like, yeah. I, my German vocabulary is exceptionally limited, as uh, yeah. tell well, me, Fabian. I, I used to know a bit more when I was six, apparently, but that was a long time ago. And the only other little bit of news I have uh, is that uh, I can now announce uh, my retirement has come forward a little bit. Uh, I have decided to uh, hang up the flying boots as of the end of May next year instead of September, which was my original plan. Uh, and basically, uh, for no other reason than uh, I fancy having the summer uh, sitting at home enjoying myself. So I can um, tell uh, everybody now that uh, we have jumped a bit ahead on my uh, clock, and we now have 178 days. Wow. Nice. Yeah, wow, that's that, awesome news, Nick. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. That's looking forward to that. That is awesome. And that means uh, you'll be there for the whole week in uh, Oshkosh, right? That was a primary reason. <laughs> <laughs> he has his priorities in the right place, doesn't he? Yeah. Yes, he does. The Indeed. idea was to guarantee time off for Oshkosh, and I have ah. managed to do that. So uh, that's going to work very well. Excellent. Excellent. We're looking forward to that. By the way, uh, just to remind everybody, we are planning for our big meetup next year in Oshkosh, which is the third week in July, I believe. Sounds right. And hmm? Sounds right. Okay. Uh, and uh, we are uh, also put a uh, deposit on a an RV, a, re a recreational vehicle, one of those Class A, really nice big motor homes. And uh, I was uh, communicating with Brian, uh, Brian uh, from Pasadena, uh, also known as Brian Coleman, and uh, from the Airplane Geeks, and uh, he said he might be interested in doing the same kind of thing. So I uh, just I told him I would mention it on the show. So if anybody else wants to maybe you know contact Brian and maybe you know get a group of people uh, together to rent um, another one of those things, and we can like plop them to be together somewhere in the campground and and uh, have a big hangout or something there so perfect yeah um all right let's see so so much happening uh with you all and for me i just did a, a four-day trip uh on uh, saturday sunday monday tuesday and uh, at some point during that trip i ended up uh, coming down with this cold and uh so here i am i'm trying to recover from it and it's kind of moved from my head well it's actually still kind of in my head and in my chest and i'm taking all kinds of drugs to try to get rid of it but i don't like that feeling you know just kind of like i'm walking around kind of like foggy headed which is you know pretty normal for me but it's, it's worse than normal and uh i'm hoping to get over this soon uh, but while I was on my trip uh, coming into, and by the way, I know that we have some listeners in Tulsa. Uh, you're probably just now hearing uh, this, that because it was a last minute uh, trip that I picked up, 
I, and also, I was not even supposed to be in Tulsa on this trip. I had, I think, three or four different reroutes during the trip because of the, the weather uh, conditions. Uh, there was a big uh, winter storm here in the U.S. called Bruce that uh, affected the upper Midwest. And also, along the southeastern uh, corridor, there were a lot of uh, low visibility uh, conditions, including Atlanta. And uh, that is what kind of threw us off on the second day of the trip. And uh, I was supposed to be in, I think, uh, Savannah and uh, Huntsville, but I ended up in Tulsa and then a domicile layover in Atlanta and then came back out the last day to do a uh, turnaround from Atlanta to Chicago here and back. And so uh, at the last moment, I found myself in Tulsa, Oklahoma, so I didn't get a chance to contact anybody. Uh, I know uh, at least two people there, Larry and I think Steve uh, in uh, in the Tulsa area. Uh, but I really didn't have a lot of time to do a meetup either. Uh, got in long enough to grab a bite to eat, get some sleep, and try to start recovering from this uh, the onset of this cold. Uh, but uh, while I was uh, getting off the airplane in Tulsa, this guy standing at the door uh, ready to take over uh, the crew that was going to take the airplane back to Atlanta, um, he was standing there. I'm thinking, that kind of he kind of looks familiar to me. I don't know why. And then he starts talking to me about, hey, uh, you still doing the podcast? And I said, uh-huh. And I think, oh, obviously I must have flown with him or something. And then uh, he starts asking more and more questions about how's it, you know, when you're going to record again and that kind of thing. And, uh, and then he said, you remember, uh, we met each other. I met you at Farnborough that first time in uh, 2016. And I said, wait a minute. He goes, I'm CJ Hemmer. <laughs> or C, he just said, he's CJ. And I went, oh, CJ. So uh, you all remember CJ. Uh, in fact, Captain Nick did a plane tale. Uh, yeah, I spent a day with CJ out at yeah. uh, um, Milden Hall, I think it was. Uh, yes. And he did a wonderful day showing me around his uh, C-130. It was fabulous. Yeah. So, and, and at the time, uh, I think we had talked about, or he had mentioned in in uh, audio feedback that uh, he was kind of ending his time in the uh, in the in the military, and was hoping to get a job in the airline industry, and I think he, we even uh, talked about it on the show the fact that he was actually hired by Acme Airlines, and I said I hope that I get to see him sometime out on the line, and sure enough, I did. I, I didn't get to fly with CJ, but I did see him, and then he was uh, getting you know getting on the jet about to do all of his interior and exterior pre-flight duties and stuff so it was good seeing you cj and he said he's been with us for now almost a year or about a year wow. i must um, admit I, when i when i saw his picture i thought uh, i didn't instantly recognize him with uh, his hat around his ears and, uh, <laughs> wearing that woofy pink tie oh it was a blue tie uh, but yeah uh, we don't wear pink ties yeah well, well in october <laughs> some do but <laughs> So, yeah, uh, no, it's a black tie. Yeah, didn't immediately uh, stand out as the 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 tall, um, handsome chap in his green grow bag. So, uh, you know, I don't remember. I'll have to refer to that picture again. Uh, maybe he was wearing a um, a Christmas tie or something. It was pale blue and and very flashy. Oh, okay. Well, it must be a Christmas tie because our normal tie is black. Mm. Um. So. Again, great to see you, CJ. Hope uh, hope you're enjoying flying for the Acme Airlines. And yeah, congratulations. Then I I don't normally do this uh, because there's less and less reason for Dana and I to actually go down into the crew lounge anymore. 
but I had a big break uh, between flights during one of these reroutes on one of the days of this last trip. And I went down there and a guy walks up to me and goes, Captain Jeff. And he said, I've been listening to your show for like three years. And uh, he introduced himself as Cody, Cody Diamond. And uh, I said, oh, hello. And we had a nice talk, a nice chat. And uh, so I just wanted to do a shout out to Cody. It was a pleasure meeting you, sir. And hope that we'll hope we'll get to fly together at some point before they retire this airplane or before you move off of it. That's it for me. Um, as I said, I'm trying to recover from this illness, as you can probably hear from my voice, not the normal voice that I have. So I hope you can put up with it. Let's see. I, I have something here in the um, erratum about uh, you know some of the you know one of the many mistakes that I've made in previous episodes, and I'm just going to save that for the uh, news item re- regarding Lion Air because uh, Colonel Jeff sent us some uh, audio feedback, and he'll he'll set the record straight. Uh, something I said uh, regarding the 737 definitely having a stick pusher. It it doesn't. So sorry. <laughs> I just assumed definitely, because the 7-2 did. I was very adamant absolutely. about that. I know you were, I recall. And then and then I started thinking about it afterwards and I think, oh well, you know, the 727 another t- so most of the airplanes I've flown, most of the uh transport category airplanes I've flown are T-tails and ah. all the T-tails I've flown have stick pushers. And there's a reason a good reason for that mm-hmm. uh because it's uh very bad to get those things in stalls and uh I guess I just kind of made the assumption that all the Boeings would have stick pushers as well, but they don't. So sorry about that. Ah, So before we get on with the news, let's uh, move over to the uh, coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. Sorry. Yes, the coffee fund. (laughs) The coffee fund is your way to become involved in the Airline Pilot Guys show financially if you have the resources to do so, of course. And uh, you can do that a couple of different ways. Uh, One is via the classic fund, uh, PayPal. You can do it like a a one-time or a couple of time or a recurring payment, whatever you'd like, uh, using PayPal. And uh, since the last show, we have recurring payments from Vigner, Steve, Jason, and Stephen Abru. And an individual payment from David Gonzalez, a very generous one. Thank you, David, for that. Uh, and you can also become a patron of the show via Patreon. And we have a new producer, Patrick Bliss. The cockpit crooner at gmail.com. I hope he doesn't mind me giving his email address out. Uh, but he must be a singer as well. Cockpit crooner, huh? And new executive producer, Magnus Rudebeck. Thank you very much uh, for becoming a patron uh, or patrons of the show. And you want to learn more about the Coffee Fun Cadre, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. Stand by for news.
All right, let's start off with item A, an update on the Lion Air accident in the uh, Java Sea. Um, Glaucus sent Glaucus sent us some feedback. He says, uh, there, here's an update, and he sent us the link, which we're going to talk about here in a second. According to the discussion on episodes 349 and 350, there's a switch that, that can simply disable the MCAS system. Do you think that this has been tried and failed, or that it was tried and failed, or the pilot simply didn't know about it, and were fighting to maintain control of the aircraft while the trim wheel kept clicking away? It seems the former was the case, which highlights a serious design issue with the system altogether. Looking forward to hearing your views on the matter, and if possible, also have Colonel Jeff, the good-looking one, thank you, Glaucus, for saying so, uh, to comment. And uh, you know what? I think, let's just go right to that. Uh, let's hear the good-looking Captain Jeff, Colonel Jeff, uh, talk to us about the latest developments in this Lion Air disaster. Hello, APG. It's Colonel Jeff, the handsome one again, giving you the second edition of the Lion Air feedback and the MCAS debacle. Captain Nick had some very good questions uh, during the previous podcast uh, that I failed to answer, so I'm going to take care of that right now. Nick's first question was, if we trim in the opposite direction, that is the appropriate answer. You win. If you're on a 737NG, on the 730 MAX, that doesn't do anything. On the NG, if you trim in the opposite direction of a runaway trim situation or pull on the yoke, either one, it should put a brake on the electric trim. It doesn't turn it off, but it puts a brake on. So now you should be able to trim against it. And if that doesn't fail, then the checklist does call for you to reach over and turn off the two-step cutout trim switches. They're on the right side of the uh, throttle quadrant. On the MAX, however, the MCAS is a totally hidden system to the cruise. It uh, inhibits or disregards you pulling on the yoke or trimming in the opposite direction. It is the king of the trim at this point. You have no say in the matter. So that 10 seconds of 2.7 degrees is going to happen in a hurry unless you reach over there and immediately turn off those stab trim cutout switches. And basically that's what our new procedures tell us to do right off the bat is to reach over and turn them off. The uh, implication is, is we have a totally hidden system on the aircraft that take, basically takes control of the airplane that the crews have no training on or no knowledge of. So that's the first question. The second question has to do with AOA faults. The, the Lion Air uh, jet had some previous write-ups about angle of attack differences and sensor problems. They flushed them, they cleaned them, never replaced them that I saw. MCAS is strictly an AOA-based system. And when it sees the high angle of attack, it basically engages and does its thing. It runs the trim, pitches the airplane over dramatically. And what I'm guessing in this case, because I still really don't know how this system works, I'm guessing that whichever AOA sensor failed, that was the side of the aircraft that was flying the airplane. So if the captain was flying, he had his autopilot or his flight director in the command position. Autopilot on or off, it shouldn't have mattered. If he is flying from his side of the aircraft that his flight director selected, or his, uh, yeah, that's how we would normally fly, uh, it's going to use his angle of attack center sensor primary. 
And if that's the one that failed, that's the one that's going to be talking to the MCAS primarily. That's how I guess the system would work since how that's how most of our other systems work. So the fault drives the system. It's not an airspeed indicator. It's not a load indicator, although lo a, a G is involved in the firing of the system, but it's primarily an ang angle of attack driven system. So the previous faults um, were significant. In fact, if I remember right, one of the previous flights, they actually did turn off the stab cutout switches. That crew did and returned to the field right away. <sighs> so you asked uh, the third question, I think I've already answered, but if if I get this system firing and if I trip in the opposite direction, I lose. It, it just takes over. I can pull as hard as I want and uh, nothing's going to happen. As far as how much a pitch authority I have, depending on how, if it's full nose down, it's going to take every ounce of strength the co-pilot and I have together. The latest report that I saw on the Lion Air is that the flight uh, data recorder showed that there was 100 pounds of force being exerted on the yoke when they hit the water, and they were still going straight down. That's a lot of pull. Uh, that was probably both guys pulling for their lives, and they still couldn't override it. Uh, the last question, and I think I've already answered this. Jeff asked me this uh, directly before. Uh, no, the 737 does not have a stick pusher. We have one heck of a stick shaker. I mean, it rattles and, it, yeah, it's the best vibrator in the world. <laughs> if I could just figure out how to get it on my back when I'm, my back is acting up, it would be wonderful. It uh, it lasts for as long as you're in the, approaching the stall. and it, it, it There's no doubt in your mind that you have a stick shaker. So, again, it's uh, been a little bit over a week since uh, my last feedback. And I still have not seen any more feedback to us as line crews as to what is going on with the system. I did see a news article that Boeing has met with the individual unions at uh, Southwest and American. I have not gotten anything from the company or the union except for the immediate change is dictated by the air directive from uh, several weeks ago. So... I did see an article that said the United guys say they knew about the system and that theirs works differently than ours. Uh, so I'm not sure if they bought a different mod of the airplane than everybody else or what. But as far as I know, all the Southwest, all the American ones are the same. I take that back because I saw an article this morning. Thank you, BFF community about Southwest is going to install an AOA indicator on their fleet. Uh, we already have that. We have an angle of attack indicator on the top of the primary flight director in the top right corner, and it's also on the HUD. And I use it a great deal. Having flown the F-15, which was totally angle of attack, and Nick, you were probably the same way in the Hornet, everything was done by angle of attack. And uh, it's a very significant uh, gain in situational awareness, I think. First commercial airplane I've had uh, invisible. And the odd thing is all the commercial airliner flight directors, uh, flight data recorders record angle of attack. So why they do not show it to the pilots has always been interesting to me. So with that, I'll let you guys discuss anything else you want to do about the, the Lion Air. And uh, 
Maybe I'll even make it into the chat room this afternoon, see how the rest of the day goes. Take care. God bless. Thanks, Jeff. And I think he actually did make it into the chat room. Is he still there? I haven't seen him for a little while. Oh, he was there he had to duck out earlier. Originally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've had some technical issues uh, on today's recording. Uh, there was about a 20-minute uh, pause in the uh, proceedings because of the uh, internet at my home decided to stop working. But uh, yeah, it is, as Liz said, it's great to have Jeff's insights. Um, and again, that's interesting. That last, last little tidbit that he mentioned there that somehow the the Max that United operates operates the system operates a little bit differently than the others. That seems kind of strange to me. Do you say it operates differently, or they were just aware of the MCAS system? He said both. Oh, I missed that part. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was distracted by chat room commentary about clowns. About clowns, yeah. yeah. When you were busy talking about clowns, there, he mentioned that. Uh, we just stop clowning around. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. He said that uh, uh, on the BFF chat, uh, he was reading an article that said that, uh, that their their procedures worked a little bit differently than in as far as you know how to counter um, uh, a problem with the MCAS system if it goes into the runaway mode or, or starts acting improperly. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if that's just a misunderstanding uh, by somebody out there reporting. Or if that's really true, I can't imagine that they would make I, a different version of the MCAS system for different to audio airlines. Games. I missed all of that somehow. Yeah. But he was <laughs> definitely okay. talking about, you know, the um, on his company's Maxes, they have the angle of attack indicator on the Southwest ones. They do not have it on the primary flight display, although it sounds like, according to chat room information, that it's on the HUD, on their HUD. Um, mm -hmm. So just a little bit of differences in how you're able to configure the setup or what the air, uh, what the companies can order for their configurations. I don't think that the systems work any differently unless I missed that from what he was saying. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, maybe I misunderstood what he said. Well, he, he, he specifically said United um, from what he understood was that it did not have an override like America. Okay. Does, okay. So, gotcha. Yeah. Um, but he didn't understand how that could be because any, anybody else, I mean, they America, right. you know, his company and, and Southwest, they do have it. So I don't know if that would be an option or not. That would be an interesting option. So. Seems like it's an option that wouldn't, I don't know how you could have that as an option if you need it, it in an emergency situation. Well, if it's That's, built into, if it's built into the airplane, which is part of the, you know, the design of the aircraft and, sure. and the technology, I don't know. I mean, why would you not have the ability exactly. to use it? Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. I think that might be just a misunderstanding by the mm -hmm. journalist that wrote the article regarding what he's talking about there. Because they're never wrong. Yeah. <laughs> never know. I, I'm still concerned that the fact that this appears to be a system that will activate from a single angle of attack input. Yeah. It should have some kind of a way to compare it with yeah you'd think other it would systems. be designed with a voting system just because uh, the chance of an angle of attack gauge or um, vane having a fault uh, leading to a spurious uh, activation would seem to be relatively high and uh, i i'm I, I don't think that's that's certainly not a fail safe system uh, from my point of view I don't like that
Right. I, I agree. Colonel Jeff, uh, before he left us in the chat, uh, also sent us a new link uh, from Reuters. And it said uh, from Seattle and Paris, Reuters, Boeing company is weighing plans to launch a software upgrade for its 737 MAX in six to eight weeks that would help address a scenario faced by the Lion Air crew during last month's deadly crash in Indonesia. Two people briefed on the matter said on Thursday. Crash investigators are focusing on the possibility that a new anti-stall system that repeatedly pushed the Lion Air jetliner's nose down was being fed by erroneous data from a faulty sensor left in place after a previous hazardous flight. Boeing has said cockpit procedures that were applied on the previous flight are already in place to tackle such a problem, runaway stabilizer trim, and that at 737 series remains safe to fly. But... U.S. regulators have said Boeing is also examining a possible software fix after coming under fire for not outlining, outlining recent changes to the automated system in the manual for the 737 MAX, the latest version of its best-selling passenger jet. While plans for the possible fix are not final, Boeing's software upgrade could block the recently modified anti-stall system known as MCAS from continuously running until the plane hits its nose-down limit. Uh, so, and it goes on to talk a little bit more about it. Um, so I would imagine maybe captain Nick that what, you know, what you just said might be part of what is going to come here in the software fix where it maybe looks at the other AOA system to determine whether or not, you know, one is, uh, is supplying faulty information. And if so, maybe not activate or something, I don't know. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, the way it works on Airbus, if you end up with this sort of a situation is you have three computers uh, and two of them have to uh, be reading one thing and then they vote out the broken one. Uh, so that, in theory, it shouldn't happen. Of course, it it has something similar has happened on Airbus, but on that aircraft, two faulty angle of attack vanes just happened to give exactly the same faulty reading at the same time. So the system, of course, was fooled. So even in the best thought-out um, safety systems, it's always possible for something to uh, go wrong. There's, there's no such thing yep. as a completely foolproof system. No, and that's why it's also important to have humans uh, in the cockpit, uh, just in case something you know, that somebody hadn't thought of uh, occurs. And then hopefully they'll use their their human brains to come up with a solution. Yeah. It doesn't always happen that way, but, you know, I think... Increases chances, at least. More times than not, it does. Because we never hear about the times that, that uh, you know, pilots successfully uh, countered a major issue and uh, safely flew the flight from point A to point B and... Nobody well, you're was right, really but it sounds aware. like the crew on the previous flight of this line air aircraft did exactly that. It sounds like they did cope with the same mm -hmm. fault right? Uh, and uh, got the aircraft safely on the ground. But then, sadly, um, the maintenance uh, rectification done was completely inadequate to solve what was a very potentially dangerous situation. Yeah. Great. Oh, you know, I was just thinking about all of this as we were reading through that last article in particular. It's just amazing how, you know, even things that started off much more basic have become so reliant on technology anymore. You know, we're still talking about a plane that is still called the 737, which has been around for how long now? But 
completely different in terms of the amount of technology mm -hmm. that it has on board compared with originals. And every time you introduce new things, there's new potential issues that crop up. Yeah. And it's always a, it's always a bit of a learning curve, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, all, all technology. I mean, anytime you have an advancement, there's, there's definitely a big learning curve. And, uh, you know, uh, policies and procedures, unfortunately, tend to be written with mistakes and in, in, in accidents that have come from from uh, um, circumstances, you know, in relation to the uh, <clears throat> the uh, new new technology or, or a mistake made by pilots. So um, this is, I think, unfortunately, one of those cases that it was something that was not foreseen and possibly was not communicated, mm -hmm. and thus the pilots didn't know about it. So they, you know, what they were fighting and fighting and fighting and lost the battle ultimately. So right, pretty bad, pretty bad scenario. And, you know, I, uh, the, the pilot groups that are um, upset about the fact that uh, they weren't informed of these, uh, of this new system on this new airplane or this new version are, I think, rightly incensed that they weren't informed. And uh, so hopefully uh, this will all get straightened out. Now, I don't know if it was all it was all Boeing or maybe the individual airlines and their communications with Boeing decided, you know, to determine whether or not this is something we need to really tell the pilots about or or if it was just something that was just held withheld from uh everybody's you know yeah i think awareness. i think at this point you know it's it's a known thing now so get the information yeah. out there make sure everyone's well versed in it and prevent the problem going forward fix whatever needs right. to be fixed yeah i wonder if this wasn't in the uh, qrh and just they didn't know about it no it wasn't. Uh, the only thing that was in the QRH that uh, would address the situation is that uh, the trim is running away. Regardless of what's causing it to run away, go do the do the QRH actions. Um, you know, trim in the opposite direction. As Jeff mentioned, uh, if this is not a max, anytime the runaway trim is going, a trim is running away, you trim in the opposite direction. That p applies a brake. If you pull back on the yoke in the opposite direction of the runaway right. trim, that applies the brake. And then, of course, the third thing is you always want to remember those switches. I still remember where they are without looking. You know, you, it's at the base of the center console on the right side, and you just put both of those uh, paddle switches backwards, and that uh, turns the stabilizer trim system uh, off and uh, unfortunately in this case the way i understand this thing works is that by pulling back on the yoke in the opposite direction of the trim or and or uh, trimming in the opposite direction doesn't do anything with the mcas system when it's activating the trim you have mm -hmm. to go for those trim cutout yeah. switches yeah it's an override so um you know it's just a shame that they didn't get to the point to hit those uh, cutout switches and then start manually moving that wheel and then everybody would be alive. But it, you know, just remember how quickly this all took place too. Yeah. I mean that the trim that the aircraft put in happened very quickly. Right. Right. You know, we weren't there. Yeah, I know. Not, not there, but on that note, sadly, I've got to run. Uh, all right. Well, it was nice well, to have you for, yeah, for a little bit, a little while. Yeah. So, I could just say again, Thank you, guys. I All miss right. you. We All miss right. you as well. We'll see you again next uh, next time, hopefully. Hopefully. All the best. All right. See you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Okay. Item B in the news. Rob uh, sent us a link to an article uh, regarding an incident that occurred uh, back in 2017, I believe. Um, 
trying to find the exact date. July of 2017. July of 2017, thank you. Oh, that's why I added that first few words in that first paragraph in July of 2017. I actually did add that. Did you? Not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just um, reading what you put there for. I should have our, highlighted it, well, you know, as I do with all the other things that I highlight. Uh, in July of 2017, a Boeing Company 737 jet struck a light almost 100 feet beyond the end of a runway and just 14 inches high <laughs> after taking off with insufficient power when its pilots entered the incorrect air temperature into a computer, according to an air accident bulletin. And uh, the. Uh, moving down here, this is uh, Canada's Sunwing Airlines uh, avoided crashing only because of the benign nature of the area beyond the runway at Belfast International Airport in Northern Ireland and the low elevation of surrounding terrain, according to the UK Air Accident Investigation Branch. The 737 limped into the air with just 60% of the usual thrust after the Sunwing crew entered a temperature of minus 52 Celsius. <laughs> into the plane's flight management system when the correct reading on July 21st of that year was 16 degrees uh, or six or 61 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, quite a difference, uh, a disparity in temperature. And the computer rained back the engines because colder air requires less acceleration to achieve the same lift. So in other words, you know, that's what we call reduced thrust or alternate power or flex uh, power settings, all kinds of different ways to describe what we do to save wear and tear on the engines if we don't need all that power. Unfortunately, they really did need that power. Uh, the pilots didn't notice that the low, uh, the low takeoff speed until the 737 was approaching the end of the runway. And after takeoff, they continued the flight to Corfu, Greece, as planned, because they didn't know that they had struck anything. Uh, it looks like one of the aircraft's tires uh, crushed that light. Uh, 100 feet beyond the uh, end of the runway. Um, and then there's also an article here that, uh, regarding the same thing from the Aviation Herald, and it actually has some of the the uh, text uh, from the report by the Air Accident Investigation Branch, uh, which we'll include in the show notes so you can read it as well. But um, one of the things here that uh, uh, I, the last thing I highlighted, um, it said that the FAA should guide 737 operators on how to verify the required thrust calculated by the flight management computer against an independently de derived value. Now, in my airplane, I don't know what it's like for you, Captain Nick. Uh, first of all, do you use uh, EPR to set power on uh, your engines, or do you use uh, N1? Uh, we use EPA, uh, except okay. on the 340-600, which doesn't have EPA, it has N1. Okay. So with an airplane that has an EPR gauge, uh, like mine, uh, we set our power based on the, are you okay, Nick? The coaster stuck to the bottom of my glass. Oh, okay. And I've just realized that I was talking about the 300 variant, which we don't have anymore. But I okay. gather the 330-200 might be only, anyway, generally speaking, we're EPR nowadays. Sorry. Okay. So that's, and that's the world that I'm used to is, uh, I think all the transport category airplanes I've flown, uh, we we set power based on the uh, EPR, the exhaust uh, gas pressure ratio. And the, the problem is you have to also cross-check all your other instruments to make sure that, because uh, the EPR is susceptible to, especially in icing conditions, uh, can give you um, an erroneous 
setting. Uh, and if you enter the apparently enter the wrong data in your flight management computer, it can also give you some bad data. So if you cross check and what we do on the airplane that I fly in the uh, MD-88 is that when we set an alternate thrust system uh, setting, uh, we just make sure we look at our N1s to make sure that we have at least 88%. Um, if our N1 gauges are showing something less than that, that means there's something wrong with our EPR setting. So in other words, the point is we have a cross check, just uh, very much like uh, Nick's um, unofficial uh, timing cross check that he does when he starts his takeoff roll and starts the timing uh, to check for normal acceleration. Um, and uh, that's another way to kind of have some kind of a cross check uh, or an independently derived value. Now, the nice thing about using N1s as a uh, an independently derived value is that um, N1s are powered or self-powered gauges, uh, and the the the, air, the jets in the back. It's not using the electrical system of the airplane to power the uh, the system. It's internally generated. Uh, or independently generated, so it's a pretty reliable uh, indication uh, on on our uh, our engine uh, instrument panel. Now that's that's great. These gross error checks are the way to catch it, but the correct way to catch it is when you input the data. Now I'm assuming you do it the same way we do, Jeff, which is um, you will do an independent calculation of your performance and compare the figures. And then uh, one of you will uh, enter into the into the box the numbers, and the other one verifies that the correct number has gone into the correct box. Is that the way you do it? No, because uh, in our system in Acme, we have a separate department that does all the weight and, and performance data, and so it's all sent to us via our ACARS printer, and we print it out, and that. That all, we don't do any of those calculations ourselves. Okay. okay, but I but when you enter the data, which is what happened here, they put the top of climb temperature into the flex box. How the right, uh, but we don't put any temperatures anywhere. Um, you, we would just use the power settings that are given on our printout. Ah, okay. Uh, so you manually set this. All right. Yes. Okay. Fair so enough. just a uh, point of clarification for people listening who might not know, you're talking about EPERS and N1s as a way to gauge engine power output, basically. What's the yes. difference between an N1 and an EPR? What are, what are you referring the to N with N1? The N1 is the uh, the compressor. Right. Um, it's the speed of the fan blades. The speed of the correct. fans in the in the in the number one compressor section. Because there's also N2, at the front. correct? N2, and sometimes even N3. Yep. Uh, if you're flying like a RB211, I think oh, that's one of my school. airplanes. We got N3. Okay, Ooh, um, but no, N1 is the one. <laughs> is mm -hmm. the is the one at the front right. and uh that uh is the one that most of us use for you know verifying proper thrust and power settings uh the uh, exhaust pressure ratio gauge is there's a gauge somewhere near the inlet of the fan and there's um a gauge uh checking the pressure at the tail end of the of the jet and then compares these it's two the ratio of the two pressures it's a ratio yes gotcha. And that gives you a, a very accurate uh, indication of the thrust that's being produced. However, it is susceptible to, to some, you know, weaknesses. And N1 is a very reliable thing, as we mentioned before. Uh, it's not affected by icing or anything else. It's It gives you, you know, when you know what the RPM is of that N1 section, you know that's what the engine's doing. 
Yeah, and and I'm just going to raise this back about fifty percent and say it's engine pressure ratio. Oh, I'm sorry, not exhaust pressure ratio. Let's engine bring pressure in that ratio. that uh, yeah. accuracy rating up to the fifty percent. Oh exactly. shoot! Really? So it, it compares the front with the back. So it's the total engine pressure difference between the front difference uh, between the front and the back. Okay. Now why do I keep calling it? Yeah, you're right. Engine pressure ratio. Why did I call it? it all this time. Acronyms are dangerous. <laughs> the last thirty years, I've been th- I've been <laughs> calling it. Professor a, slash attending of mine used to say acronyms are dangerous because eventually you'll start calling it the wrong thing. So yeah. it's he always wanted everyone to say out in long form what things were, which is that's probably a good idea. Well, it's a good idea, except it's not practical all the time. It's a good idea to revisit them every once in a while, I suppose. I'd like to. I'd like to say that it uh, has something to do with the medication that I'm taking I'm right now. It sure doesn't. It no, I don't think it really does. Entirely blurred <laughs> your mind. What did you say you're taking? You said you're taking a. Uh, some Advil um, minus deal does it have? Allergy congestion relief with antihistamine mm, and the antihistamine uh, that make your brain a little foggy. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much the uh, mucinex. I'm walking around like in a in a fog. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, just just click it. on Cat Three and you'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Cat Three, what did you call it the other day? Auto crash. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry about calling it the wrong thing many, many times. Uh, I th- do thank you for pointing that out. Um, so no, yeah, we're no, that's good information 50%. because I think we sometimes throw out a lot of uh, terminology out there, and I know there's folks listening who maybe yeah. don't have that detailed uh, aviation background. So. True. And there are folks listening out there that can't wait to correct us. So don't that's send me the too. email. That's true, too. <laughs> yeah. do we not... do this for both of you out of the goodness of our hearts. Yeah. We love you all. We don't, we don't want to hear it. We know I was wrong. <laughs> I wasn't trying to say you were wrong, by the way. I just no, wanted no, no, to. No, no, no. I'm glad a, you a brief description that. of N1 and Eper. Yeah. That's why we need Miami Rick back. I know. He'll Come back. Get all those things Please, right. Rick, where are you? <laughs> it's the same. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. Um, uh, alcohol, good. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, uh, alcohol can be good yeah, in certain circ- circumstances, you know, when it's appropriate at the appropriate time. Like now, I'm sitting here yeah. chatting with my friends. I don't have to drive anywhere. I'm not about to operate an aircraft. Yeah. It's about to start raining, crappy weather. I'm not going anywhere. Sit down. Unlike. Have a beer. Uh, the Japan Airlines pilot that failed a breathalyzer. Um, Oops. What? And we, we talked uh, about month? this one previously because it wasn't that he just failed his breathalyzer test. He, I mean, by a he long shot, it. 10 times over the it. limits, <laughs> at least if you're looking at British law, which I think is similar to US law. Anyway. Yeah. Apparently, he, I think I read somewhere where he was sentenced to. Uh, 10 months in prison. Yes. Yeah, John yep. Picard uh, sent us uh, some feedback regarding that. Uh, yeah, uh, just to remind everybody, he had 189 micrograms of alcohol per 100 milliliters of blood. And the limit in the UK, anyway, for flying is 20. So do the math there. Almost well, I have 10 to do times. the math again because, well, I mean, because we don't usually think of, we think of uh, blood alcohol volume, which is a little bit different than yeah. reporting it in the milligrams per milliliter but anyway right. it's excessive it was way too high that's what it boils yeah. down to so in response uh, a couple airlines in japan uh, japan airlines and all nippon have introduced new methods to prevent pilot drinking incidents uh, they uh, are now using 
uh, a new breathalyzer, which is more sensitive, and uh, they have requested the airport staff get involved rather than the pilots checking for each other. <laughs> they don't trust so us. So I'm, I'm just curious, were they previously using a breathalyzer on each other to go, let's let's blow in this breathalyzer, see if we're fit to fly, rather than just not drinking and being on the safe side, they were actually testing themselves. And because most commercial breathalyzers, not the official police ones, well, perhaps even the official police ones, uh, aren't very good at very low alcohol limits like uh, 20 milligrams, it's, it's a very small limit. Um, you know, it's a quarter of what our very strict driving uh, regulations require. Um, they, they weren't good at, at picking out when it got, to, when you just were down at that low level. Um, a blood test, of course, is, is very good. So it sounds to me like the airline is getting more sensitive ones so that the pilots can check themselves and be more accurate is that the way this is working it's, that's what i'm reading uh, <laughs> between the like lines it. here i, mean, I would rather kind of like the just, honor system almost yeah, right exactly like i pitch up to work i blow in this thing if it if it goes green i'm fit to fly not how much did i drink six hours ago or it's have i got away with it i don't know it doesn't seem quite right to me no it doesn't it's uh, the, uh there's something else i read uh that how much this pilot consumed oh, two was, bottles of wine yeah and five cans of beer <laughs> thank you <laughs> so I i'm just looking at just two a, bottles is, of wine this is just two a table bottle. i've uh, googled um and pulled up i think this one's from wikipedia but just as a, an example so if you take my approximate body weight which i will not say on air but i'm slender <laughs> oh it'd be very embarrassing and then you plug it into this table and it just does it by number of drinks. And it's defining a drink as uh, one standard can of light, or um, I'm sorry, one standard can of medium strength beer. So this beer that I'm drinking, I would say, is a little bit stronger than medium strength. I'd call it full strength. So it's the equivalent of 1.4 standard drinks. So then you go down this table and you see, okay, 1.4 standard drinks. I've had almost two of them at this point. So let's call it three. And it thinks that my blood alcohol content by uh, percentage should be around 0.11, which is over the legal limit. Yet here I am doing this podcast with you all. It's Thank a you. miracle. Yes. <laughs> Probably yeah. obvious and apparent. <laughs> How are you even sitting up straight stuff? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Um, uh, it's a talent of hers. Yeah. Now, uh, if I if I, if I were a male, I would just be at 0. 0.08, which is um, the legal limit here in the U.S. But everybody's metabolism also. It's different, right, and to, tolerance yeah. is different, and you can't go by this strictly, but this is approximation. Um, yeah. Either way, if you're flying an aircraft, the correct answer really should be zero. Exactly. So. Wow. But the, yeah, the, the, the bit that they I was a bit worried about was the number of uh, pilots who, quote, uh, felt unwell after a night drinking alcohol and delayed their departures the next morning. Um, they said last month, five domestic flights were delayed because the pilots felt, quote, unwell, unquote. Uh, is, there, is there a bit of a culture of this going on in Japan? I mean, that That's... I'm not aware of? That's what it certainly seems to me, because I'm thinking if I applied all of these circumstances to my airline, 
uh, these people wouldn't be, I mean, it, it kind of gives you the impression that these people that called in sick because they were feeling unwell are still flying for these companies. I'm, again, I'm making that assumption, but, uh, if, if that happened, well, I can't say that with surety, but I'm, it just seems to me that in other cultures, you would never get to the point where you drank that much to be in a situation that you'd feel unwell the next day if you're on a trip. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that would just be. I think for most of us, that would be just crazy to think of doing it in a professional it's, setting. It seems like it's more more accepted. Um, I could be wrong about this, but it's certainly based on what we're reading in this article, at least, uh, that uh, they're they're kind of giving us the impression that that's kind of uh, that's their culture. Um, people drink a lot, and, uh, and this is the way we're going to handle it. They're also uh, keeping uh, pilots from drinking within 24 hours of being on duty instead of the current rule of 12 hours before departure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that uh, to really fix this, they're going to have to do something about this whole perception of going out and binge drinking. Yeah, it's, it, that may very well be a cultural thing. I don't know. Um, I don't either. I've heard rumors to that extent, but again, that's just what I've heard. It's a little bit of hearsay. Um, right. But it's hard to change cultural standards, cultural norms, right. I would say. Um, really, you have to get a lot of people behind it. You have to have a, a kind of a motivating force to change things. And hopefully, um, some of these incidents provide that. Yes. All right, moving on. Uh, this incident occurred in 2016, and I do remember talking about this on the show because we were thinking, what in the heck happened here? And just a reminder, it was a Jet Airways Boeing 737-800 uh, from on takeoff from Goa to Mumbai in India, and they backtracked on runway 26 and then lined up with runway 26 and they were accelerating as they were kind of making that backtrack turn. They were accelerating the engines for takeoff when the aircraft continued to turn right. The crew rejected takeoff, not right away. And the aircraft went off the right runway edge, almost perpendicular, went over soft ground and across a road and came to a stop with the nose gear collapsed to both engines making ground contact. The aircraft was evacuated. 16 occupants received minor injuries as a result of the evacuation. The airline reported due to a technical glitch, the aircraft spun. <laughs> Can we put nearly... that in air quotes? <laughs> yeah, air quotes. Column inverted commas. Yeah. Technical glitch. The aircraft spun nearly 360 degrees while oh! allowing the runway for takeoff. Impressive. And so uh, just why are we talking about it now? Well, just uh, three, four days ago. Uh, India's Air Accident Investigation Branch released their final report, concluding that the probable cause of the accident was the pilot in command pressed toga, the uh, takeoff go-around uh, switch, uh, when the thrust on the number one engine was 40% and number two engine was 28% in deviation from their standard operating procedures, which caused the number one engine thrust to increase at a faster rate than the number two resulting in aircraft yawing toward the right in the absence of timely desired corrective actions, including rejecting the takeoff in the absence of that, the aircraft veered off the runway and continued to move in a semicircular arc on the undulating ground, resulting in substantial damages to the aircraft. The, uh, let's see. Uh, there's some other good information in here. The application for trust for, uh, of thrust for takeoff, 
uh, was not as per the Jet Airways documented procedure for takeoff, which states that both thrust levers must be advanced till the N1, we talked about that earlier, displayed is 40%, and then toga must be pushed. So, And this is true, I think, in almost any airplane out there that's flying today, uh, transport category. When you throw spool, spool up the engines, uh, you, you spool them up to a certain point, and then when they're all relatively equal, then you advance, either advance the throttles or the thrust lever to the uh, takeoff position in your airplane or in our airplane, we would uh, uh, turn on the auto throttles and then the uh, throttles would advance. And the reason for that is that sometimes <laughs> engines can accelerate in a, in a asymmetric manner, asymmetric fashion. Thank you. And uh, words, I'm having trouble with them. It's okay. I'm here to help. And, That's what I do. <laughs> But, but, but Steph drinking. knows what I'm trying to say, I think. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so you kind of like do a pirouette. Uh, and <laughs> Nick, do you, you probably see this as often as I do when you look on a runway and sometimes you see these like really dark marks on the runway, like tire marks, and they're kind of <laughs> going off. How the hell did they get there? I know. It's like, <laughs> what? Like they're just heading what? off into the grass or what like happened? around in circles. Like what? what? Yeah, someone donutting on the runway. Yeah. And so it happens more often than you think, apparently. Uh, so anyway, the deal is here. Oh, it gets worse, actually. Oh, good. Um, Carry on then. Yeah. It, it's so so here we go. We we put the toga switch on for both engines and they're still uh, spooling up asymmetrically. And the uh, the left engine, the number one engine is probably providing a lot more thrust than the right engine. And then when the captain decided, you know what, this is not going well, I'm going to reject the takeoff. Apparently, he only brings the number two engine into reverse, which is not the uh, one you'd want to be in reverse. Uh, you can only have one in reverse. Uh, and the number one engine apparently was still up at a high power setting. So, oh, no. so that just high power, two in reverse. Exacerbated the problem. I'm thinking of and, like, a, you know, there's a child's like toy scooter thing that you could kind of do that with where you had like the controls where if you push one forward and pull one back you're going to spin around in a circle it's basically well, the same i think that's how they drive right tanks there. around then yeah that's the same thing. Yeah. Yep, exactly yeah. two levers and but uh I, yeah i think it was uh not his day and i think no. we can call that a complete cock up yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the technical term. That was the official report. <laughs> a complete cock up. <laughs> wow. I when I was reading this, I'm thinking, what? <laughs> You're kidding me. That's crazy. And there's a picture here, and you can see that nice right arc subscribed uh, into the well, first the runway, and then the the grass, grass, and whatever off the side. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. Not not his day. Not his day. No, okay. last time he'll do that, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Could you think? Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on quickly, our last item in the news. Um, a Vietjet A321neo. This is a brand new airplane. I think they said it was delivered, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. Oops. Two weeks ago. Oopsie. Uh, landing um, at a Vietnam airport. Let me see if I can find the name of it. Ho Chi Minh City to Buan Ma. Oh, wow. Dua? Should not have taken that on. Thua. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you did. <laughs> so, what is that, Steph? <laughs> Buan Ma Thuat. Buan Ma yeah. Thuat. Yeah. I agree with you. Okay. Nick. 
Um, well, they apparently they landed very hard because the <laughs> both nose wheel tires <laughs> separated. Why, why are you laughing? <laughs> I, I mean, that must be one hell of a landing. I'm surprised the thing's still. I like, mean, is it looks still otherwise there. in very good condition. The strut still completely well, missing I, the I gear. Uh, it looks a little deformed to me, but mm, yeah. what do I know? <laughs> no, I, I was just, you know, yeah, it's yeah. not like the whole thing collapsed down and it came down no. on the nose. So no. well done to uh, Airbus for... Oh, Downey or whoever does, her, does their undercarriage for them. Mm-hmm. Or that, uh, yeah. But yeah, but yeah. The, the, the tires, the wheels, obviously, the hubs gave out and they parted company. Uh, and uh, the the entire leg looked like it's been crashed up into the avionics bay or wherever, mm-hmm. whatever is above that. So I think a wee bit of damage on that one. Yeah, that's true. That that would normally be much longer, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'll it'll yeah. buff out. It, it's just the uh, the look of the um, <laughs> yeah the the look of the uh, retracting portion of the uh, bogey above the gear. Above above the top of it it looks looks very strange angles so yeah i think that's a significant amount of damage to that yeah we don't have a lot of information on this one yet because it just happened last night and uh i'm sure we're going to probably get some more data maybe from the flight data recorder to see how many g's were experienced on that touchdown yeah it when you uh, do a heavy landing and in an airbus i don't know if it's good for all airbuses but all of ours uh chunt our out a, a big chunk of paper and at the top is report 15. if you get a report 15 followed by lots of numbers you know you've done a heavy landing. <laughs> you might have to talk to somebody maybe yeah oops yeah Oopsie. yeah well. dang oh well well, hopefully we'll learn more about that in the future, as we did on some of these other incidents. And uh, now, let's go to the part of the show where we answer your great feedback. Captain, incoming message. Okay, the first item in the feedback folder it was sent in by several of you, uh, Ron, Sean, and Rob among among you. Uh, the incident involved a Piper PA 31 Navajo, a twin engine, uh, reciprocating engine airplane. And, uh, I guess it was operated by a small freight outfit named Vortex Air and was flying. Uh, let's see exactly where was this, uh, from Devonport in Tasmania to neighboring King Island and the Piper Navajo landed safely at King Island airport near the town of Curry, despite overshooting its target by 46 kilometers in a statement. The ATSB said the investigation will involve reviewing operational vortex air procedures and interviewing the pilot. Uh, The ATSB allege that during the cruise, the pilot fell asleep resulting in the aircraft overflying King Island by 46 kilometers. So uh, luckily, the guy woke up and turned around and landed safely. And I could have gone very, very badly based on what I know of the geography down there. Well, uh, so it looks like, and I I don't know the geography well, so someone will probably correct me on this, but it looks like 
you have Tanzania, then you have King Island, and then there's a large stretch of open water beyond King Island. Is that what you all are seeing? I think so, yeah. So had this pilot not uh, come to uh, in a timely manner, could have been quite a ways out over the open water with uh, not enough fuel or uh, time left to get back to land, potentially. Yeah, I guess I need to uh, look this up on... I know, right? I should look. But while you're doing that, um, I will just take this opportunity to say that uh, this happened in Australia, but here in the U.S., uh, people who have gone through pilot training will be well familiar with the FAA's I'm Safe Checklist, which stands for reasons why you may not want to undertake a flight. Uh, I'm Safe stands for illness, medication, stress, alcohol, fatigue, and eating. Have you been adequately nourished? So fatigue, that second to last one there, may be a uh, factor at play here. So good point. Thank you, Steph, for reminding us of that. Um, It looks like based on that track, uh, on that image that we have, if he had kept going, he would have hit the main continent or not continent uh what is it yeah it's it is a it. continent and a country yeah all wrapped into one tiny package. all into one and would have been making landfall somewhere near warm warmabool or something like that on the south coast uh, just to the east of melbourne melbourne how far yeah, of a distance is it across the water there it's about the same as the distance between tasmania and king island oh okay so, so not uh, terribly far it just depends i guess on no. how much fuel they had on board and everything else in my mind i was thinking it was more to the to the uh, east and uh, there was a much larger expanse of water yeah between. Uh, actually i was thinking it was more to the west and there was more uh, water before hitting mainland but yeah uh, just on that but particular trajectory regardless it was not a good thing to happen and uh you know the person flying could have easily run out of fuel and it would have been a a big problem for them do you think you would have woken up then when they ran when out of hit fuel? the water, yeah. <laughs> at what point? I don't know. <laughs> when the engine quit, or when they hit the water? Yeah, when the engine quit, <laughs> probably I mean, that would. Yeah. I'd like I to think know. that's something that would wake you up. Depends on how much of a sound sleeper they were. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, uh, they uh, they make the point that he had the day off the day before, but that doesn't mitigate everything. Uh, if you have are suffering from long-term um, fatigue, then uh, you may not be able to recover after just one day. And of course, if you're uh, also uh, crossing lots of uh, time zones, then uh, your previous night's sleep may not have coincided with the time when you were tired. So you may have got very poor sleep quality. But all these things really affect long-haul pilots not but even even short thirty-ones. <laughs> even yeah. having the day off before does not mean that you're immune from being uh, fatigued. No, you, know, that, you, can have, you can have poor sleep. You can have well, I mean, you can have a, a poor night's sleep beforehand for yeah. a variety of reasons. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. Sometimes that just happens. Um, it can be self-induced. You could have stayed out too late. You could have been undertaken um, a lot of vigorous physical activity the day before. Um, that may. Uh, Perhaps yeah. make it a little bit more fatigue. I, I did read that the uh, pilot said he had had a family emergency the night before, so he hadn't mm-hmm. slept well. So uh, that was probably oh. the cause. But in which case, I'm sorry, you just have to phone in and say I'm fatigued. I can't fly. Yeah, because uh, Nick and I have to sign releases saying that we're fit. 
to perform our duties. Yep. Certainly. And if you can't sign that, you know, honestly, then uh, that's a problem. I refer to that I'm safe checklist. Exactly. If you can't vouch for all those things, then you should not be flying. Good point. Good point. All right. Item two. Q Captain Tony. Q Captain Tony. No, wait a minute. Q as in Quebec Captain Tony. Uh, yeah, let's see. He's fought, he flies for a Canadian regional airline. Or Q400. Uh, yeah. Q400. Exactly. Is that what it is? Okay. I think it is. Yeah. Q400 Captain. Or it could be a Q300 Captain. Could be. I think somebody wrote us in maybe further down the list or maybe in our in our standby list of feedback said something about a Q300. I didn't even know what a Q300 was. I knew, I know what a Q400 is. I guess the Q300 is a, a shorter version. I don't know. Anyway, as I deadhead home from Recurrent Sim, I've been listening to episode 348 and you had mentioned an accident at my home airport, Halifax, Nova Scotia. A Chicago-based 747 overran runway 14 in Halifax. I went to see the accident site a few days back, and it's alarming how close the aircraft came to exiting the aircraft perimeter and hitting a rural road. There's something, uh, there are some interesting factors which I suspect will come to light in the TSB investigation. The Halifax Stanfield Airport has two runways and a capital T configuration. Runway 1432 is the shorter runway, 7,700 feet, that makes up the horizontal portion of the T. What I find interesting is that the longer of the two runways, 523, was undergoing maintenance. Ironically, they were installing RESA, which I believe stands for Runway End Safety Area, as has been mandated by Transport Canada. The winds at the time of the accident were right down runway 23, which is 10,500 feet in length. Unfortunately, Due to the construction, the threshold for runway 23 had been displaced a few thousand feet, and most of the instrument approaches for runway 23 have been no-tamed unserviceable. This is why the crew were unable to use the runway which was into the wind, thus requiring them to land with a heavy crosswind. As for whether it was a slight headwind or a tailwind, runway 14 was the only runway in Charlie Yankee Hotel Zulu with a functioning ILS system at the time as runway 23 was undergoing maintenance and runway 32 has an RNAV approach but no ILS. The maintenance has been going ongoing for six to eight weeks and numerous cargo 777s and 747s have been in and out during the construction. My next door neighbor is an airport firefighter and was off duty at the time of the accident but was called in to assist. He said that although the aircraft's cargo hold was empty, it was load, uh, landing to pick up lobster destined for China via Anchorage, it was tankering a significant amount of fuel, likely due to the higher fuel prices in Canada. The aircraft has had significant damage and is in the process of being removed from its final resting place now. Okay, I'm going to pause for a moment from this feedback. Did you see the... Uh, uh, the videos that were out there on Twitter of how they were taking care of this airplane. No, no. Oh, it's, it was, it's painful to watch. And they're just removing it in pieces and oh, they're tearing it these, apart. Yeah. These things, these, uh, I don't know what you call these types of, uh, equipment, but they're like just bashing in, making holes and then just prying pieces of the airplane. I'm just completely destroying it. Well, the airplane, I mean, to be fair, the aircraft was already pretty well oh, destroyed. It was, yeah. I think it, you know, it was, was no, bent in the middle. 
it's just hard to see, even though you know that there's no way you could fly that airplane again. It's just hard to watch them just take it apart like that. Yeah. It's just, ugh. anyway. It was uh, a Boeing, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you have no heart, Nick. No heart. It's like the great. Anyway, he goes on to say. Two sizes um, too small for Boeing's. <laughs> Only. This is the third major accident uh, at Halifax in the last decade, including the Air Canada A320 hard landing and the MK Cargo B747 takeoff accident. The firefighters at Halifax are top-notch, and despite the three major accidents, there were only four fatalities, all in the MK Cargo accident. I want to give a huge shout-out to the guys and girls of all the airport crash fire rescue teams, such as my neighbor John who are always there for us aviators and our passengers. Heroes, one and all. Here, here. We raise our glass. On a personal note, my wife and I just returned from a cross-continent standby adventure to San Jose, California, to watch a friend who plays in the NHL. We attempted to use our ACME standby agreement, but unfortunately the flight was full. Huh, wow, never see that. And we had to take a few other carriers, Porter, Southwest, JetBlue, and WestJet. The APG geek in me was a little disappointed that we didn't get to fly on Acme this time, but at least I didn't get dirty by having to shovel coal in the non-rev section of the Mad Dog. Oh, wow, that's kind of cruel, isn't it? Yeah, that's, you, that's you use anthracite nowadays, don't you? Oh, yeah, much, <laughs> yeah. much improved. Clean, yeah. clean burning coal. Clean burning, yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. Hope all's well with everybody in the APG community. Keep your eyes on the skies from Q Captain Troy. Thank you for the kind words, Q Captain. Liz, make sure you ban this guy from the uh, feedback list. Just kidding. Uh, item three, Jared. It's Jared. I was listening through episode 349 and heard Patrick's question about ATP flight school. I wanted to provide a few more less obvious details about ATP that might be helpful to Patrick and or any others considering ATP. I will note that I personally didn't attend ATP for my training, but the CFI I worked with on my private did. He now works for a regional airline based in Atlanta. I also had a friend from college go through the program who now flies citations privately in Texas. So the details I'll share are from their experience. First, it's important to note that ATP is actually just a standard Part 61 flight school, technically speaking. However, they are very much like a Part 141 school in that the curriculum is very structured and every student's experience will be somewhat similar. And now just a reminder to everyone, Part 61 is kind of go, you know, pay as you go at your own pace kind of flight instruction, kind of the way it was for many, many years before they came up with the these structured curriculums. Um, and that's, you know, these. that's interesting for me to know because I actually assumed, I guess, that they were part 141 because it is such a structured uh, curriculum type program. So I, I did not yeah. know that. So thank you. I did not know that either. I, I really just figured that they were part of the 141 world. I assume I made the same assumption. Mm -hmm. Um, so the part 141 schools are the ones that, uh, have, you know, like a set curriculum and, you know, you like almost going to, a uh, which taking ATP a definitely does. And I think he gets into this a little bit more. So I'll let Jared yeah. explain. Okay. Um, let's see. So, um, I'll start with that. 
paragraph again. First, it's important to note that ATV is actually just a standard Part 61 flight school, technically speaking. However, they are very much like a Part 141 school that in that the curriculum is very structured and every student's experience will be uh, somewhat similar. But you do lose the ability to take check rides with reduced hour requirements, a cost-cutting benefit of 141 schools. Now, most folks agree that the reason ATP is not Part 141 approved is that their CFI turnover, uh, certified flight instructor turnover, is very high. Part 141 schools have to maintain a staff chief instructor to do regular check rides with students. Being a chief instructor requires a separate rating, which has a basic requirement of 1,000 hours pilot and command, 500 hours, and two years of CFI time. Uh, and he references 14 civil what's the F stand for? Uh, anyway, it's CFR 141.35. Acronyms are dangerous. Yeah, I know. I'm not even going to try it. All that to say, those requirements are not that appealing to someone trying to get to the airlines as soon as possible. Even a quick glance at ATP's website can confirm that their program is a regional airline FO factory. My old CFI and my college friend can both attest. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're prepared for it, in my opinion. Since ATP's curriculum is so standardized, standardized, your experience with their CFI should be fairly similar. In fact, it's a requirement to have gone through the ATP program to work as a CFI there. Furthermore, because of their mission, they have connections with numerous regional carriers. But anyone who plans to train there should understand a CFI who they might really like could be weeks away from starting an airline job, leaving the student with a CFI who got their ticket three days ago. Two other important notes. One, ATP, the ATP program is very pricey. They require large payments to be made on a regular basis, and there's no stopping those due dates from coming. However, ATP is registered federally as a trade school, so you can actually get standard student loans to attend, which uh, those are usually at a uh, lower rate, uh, from what I understand, than uh, a regular loan. Uh, but a zero-time pilot should understand that if he or she fully finances the program, they'll finish with eighty to 90000 U.S. dollars in debt. With that cost, though, the planes they fly are newer Pipers that are maintained in-house, and often have glass avionics. Lastly, ATP is a full-time program. It would not be feasible to maintain a part-time job outside of the training. You're expected to be at the airport almost every day. All this being said, I hope this wouldn't deter anyone from attending ATP if it was the right choice for them. It is indeed a solid program that results in nearly flawless hiring rates for those who compete or complete the program. As with any big life decision, it's important to know the facts. Like with any other flight school, a prospective pilot should interview the, the instructors, do some research on the planes in use, and fully understand all the involved costs. Thanks for a great show as always. And again, that's Jared in Duluth, Georgia. Thanks Good for the information. Info. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that's what I love about this. We have experts out there that can give us the gen. It's brilliant. Right. Yeah, because somebody was asking, you know, what do you think of this? school, Jeff. Well, I don't have any personal experience with it. I, you know, only, you know, references from people like Dana who said that, you know, they knew CFIs who worked for yeah. this company. I, I've known people much. who have gone through their program, but not have, who haven't been CFIs for them. Um, so yeah. I don't really have the full uh, scoop on what they do. Right. But everyone I know who's at least been through part of their program has had good things to say about it, especially the standardization portion of it, just because it's, um, 
there's no guesswork involved. It's just, this is what it is. Here's what you're expected to do. And they have very good materials to support their uh, curriculum. Yeah. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate that. Um, Mike from Mainer Mass says, just when you've been discussing VFR charts and things like right pen. Oh, no. <laughs> Skip. Next. Uh, yeah. Just kidding. Some changes are being bad. <laughs> We're not going to go into the little uh, the the intricate details here, but uh, apparently there uh, we're going to include a link in the show notes, and you can read it yourself from the AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association dot org. Uh, there are some changes planned for traffic patterns and hotspots and aeronautical charts and that kind of stuff. So if you want to learn about what is coming, please click on the link in the show notes. Unless you guys want to talk about it a little bit more. No. Nope. Yeah, I don't think so. All set. Yeah. Um, Ahmad uh, from North Africa writes, I think it's from North Africa. Ni uh, I think he's in Nigeria. Is that that's North Africa, isn't it? Or is uh, that mid-Africa? Yeah, it's I, yeah, it's, it's Central Africa. Nigeria is Central. Central. I forget okay. where he's from exactly, though. Maybe he'll tell us. I think, I think it's Nigeria. But uh, let's... Um, listened well he wrote uh it's uh hello it's ahmad dan hamadou it's been a while since i've given feedback i thought i'd try out my audio editing skills from my phone at my workplace i was recently initiated into webcasting videography and video production not too different from how you produce the apg show i used a WavePad free i guess that's an app for android it might sound a bit rough. I was in haste to do it while attending to other attention-hogging matters. And uh, he talks about uh, formats. He didn't know which one to attach, so he attached two of them. And I'm going to use the one that sounded better to me, the one that he boosted a bit, which was the uh, the Wave format. And so without further ado, uh, we haven't heard from Ahmad in a while, and uh, he's going to uh, talk to us right now. Hello, APG community. It's Ahmad Dan Hamidou here from Abuja, Nigeria. Uh, it's been a while since I said anything or wrote anything. I just wanted you to know that I'm still with you guys, albeit far behind, way far behind. I'm on APG 194. I mean, if you're looking for me on your nav, nav display, I'm at your 6 o'clock, but uh, you still won't see me unless you have something like a Boeing E3 Sentry AWACS helping you look behind. I just thought I'd say hi and let you guys know that I'm still alive, still around, and still listening to the show. Other than that, uh, here's wishing you blue skies, clear weather, tailwinds where appropriate, and send my regards to the lovely Dr. Steph, Nick Anderson, Manu Rick, and you, Captain Jeff, and all the APG listeners. Cover to you. Over and out. <laughs> Come on. Thank you. It's always great to hear from you, and I... I I promise you one day he asked me to do this a while ago. I didn't realize how long ago uh, to kind of show him uh, my setup, uh, how I, uh, how I run the show and such, but it right there, episode 194, you can tell that he's still in the past because he referenced Miami Rick and no mention. He hasn't of even gotten to episode 200. No. You're in for a treat I'm, there. I'm all of a sudden I'm very quiet. Huh? That's better. Just a little bit. Okay. That's, That's better. Yeah. I didn't change anything. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I've been trying to tell you all along about my setup here. Yeah. Okay. It's just audio gremlins. And, you know, tinker with things and. <sighs> Weird. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not adjusting any knobs or, or slides or uh -huh. anything. 
I wonder if Abuja Ahmed will be sad to find out that Rick no longer frequents the airwaves. Maybe we should write to him and tell him that if, if he is going to be disappointed by that, that he should just stop listening. Yeah, that's probably not a bad idea. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. Keep <laughs> but wait a minute. He knew... The rest of us are still here. How did he know that Nick was on the show on 194? Nick, you... Nick was um, inserting himself into the podcast. I was wheedling my way in at that point. But you weren't an official host at that point, though. So I wasn't, no. Huh. I think he's been going ahead a little bit. And Could be. Testing the waters in the 200s. He's, he's seen the Brave future. Man. He knows what's ahead. <laughs> but he hasn't yet gotten to that point where uh, he was introduced to Dana. No. Okay. He has to go back to episode 90. 91? Yeah. 90. 90, yeah. All right, moving on. This item six from Steve. Uh, he says, I just wanted to share this clip of yet another example of the infamously unfriendly air traffic control at John F. Kennedy International. And he sent us a link to a YouTube video. Um, I have to say, whichever way you cut it, I find the controller to be very harsh here. His question is not clear and not grammatically correct. And then he berates the crew for not understanding him. This is an international airport, and part of its job is to be very clear and precise with AT tra ATC transmissions and be able to handle the challenges of handling aircraft where English is not their first language. His attitude sucks, and the level of arrogance with which he speaks to those pilots is shameful. What is it with these JFK controllers? Thanks, as always, for a great podcast. Keep them coming, Steve. Now, if you want to hear what it was that made Steve so upset, uh, I think you'll see here by listening to this. I think it's just a, I don't know if, if it's the entire video or not, but uh, let's play it. Echo in the, uh, Echo Sang 503, where do you park? Bravo 28, sir. A taxiway, the letter. Oh, negative, sir. We're on 2-2 two -two right, holding short of Fox, sir. What taxiway do you enter the ramp? Okay, so we just exit the runway and we're holding short of Foxtrot and 2 right. You're not listening to what I'm asking you. What taxiway do you enter the ramp? I'm not on the ramp yet, sir. What taxiway do you enter the ramp? Tell me. What letter? Okay, we can enter at uh, Kilo for SCR 503. That's, that's what I need to get out of you. We talked like six times. Straight ahead and hold short of hotel, sir. Straight ahead, old short of hotel, right. It's Janet 222, turn right here, turn left onto uh, 22 right and hold short of Juliet. It's Janet 222. Quit. Turn right, left onto 22 right, hold short of Juliet. Okay, right turn, then uh, 22 right, holding short, Juliet. Asiana 222. ETD 503, follow Asiana Gulf, hold short of Juliet on the runway. Uh, yes, sir. We follow the Asiana, and next time I would like you to be polite with me. Thank you. Okay, but if I got to talk to you six times, and I got other people I got to talk to, and you don't understand what I'm saying. Gentlemen, what I'm saying, polite with me, all right? Uh, you want polite with me? I'll make a report. Go ahead. Echo Tango Delta 503 at Hotel Giveaway to the Regional Jet from your left. Giveaway at Hotel to the Regional Jet from the left. Echo Tango 503. Janet 222, the kilo is blocked. Call the ramp and see who, if it, one Delta comes out, you can go in. JPR Kilo, Janet 222. 
Okay, call the ramp. There's a delta on the, on the uh, look out to your right, sir. There's a delta block in the alleyway. Call the ramp and make sure it's going to be open once, de once delta moves up. Okay, call the ramp 130-3277. That is correct. Asiana 222, you're supposed to hold short at Juliet, sir. Asiana 222. Uh, go ahead. Okay, I can make a report too. Hold short of Juliet. You already passed it. Uh, I thought you were capitalized with the uh, airplane and then going on kilo. The airplane is not moving. I told you to hold short of Juliet and call the ramp. Ground permit. Echo Tango Delta 503. What's the ramp telling you? Okay, they're going to bring us in via hotel for Echo Tango 503. Okay, will it be open, sir? Uh, so you have advice. I'll double check before moving. All right, stand by. Echo ten, Tango Delta 503, turn right. When you turn right, you'll see a regional jet off to your right. Uh, let him go by and then turn into the ramp. Roger, right. Give way to the regional jet from the right and then into the ramp for Echo Tango Delta 503. Janet 222, you keep moving the airplane when I tell you to stop. There's an airplane off to your right. Roger, we have a tell from the airplane. airplane says it's okay to go on kilo. The ramp does not control the taxiway, sir. Hey, Janet 222, do not move the airplane until I talk to you. Right. Ground United 17. United 17. Yeah, did you, uh, you sent us to 2165. Does that guy know that we're existing? Nah, man, it's, it's busy over there. He's, uh, give him some time. Yeah, he's not that busy. Uh, not to you, but, you know, you're one guy, he's talking to like 20 other people. Okay, I'll just keep listening to the same people. Alright. Hey, Janet 222, you see the regional jet off to your right side? Uh, tripping inside, right side, though. Let the regional go by before you taxi further, and then proceed to the ramp. Okay, thank you, Asiana 222. Okay. First of all, uh, <laughs> this guy is just one of many controllers at the airport, and I agree with Steve. He was rude. Um, some would say kind of being that technical typical you know new york kind of attitude about things um i do agree with steve also that he did not use proper grammar and that's very important when, important when english is not your first language now we understood what he and, and having flown in and out of kennedy uh, nick and i know that the procedure is to call the ramp ramp's going to tell you what taxiway they want you to use to enter the ramp to get to your gate and then you relay that information to ground control so we're listening to this ground controller but maybe these people have never been to kennedy before they don't know they're not used to this kind of thing and when you say what taxiway do you use to enter the ramp he, what he should say is what taxiway will you use or, or what taxiway has the ramp instructed you to use exactly but he kept saying, what so, taxiway do you use? It's one of those things, and, and I completely understand the, was it an Etihad uh, flight, their frustration here. Mm -hmm. um, it, I think all of us in some form or another have had the experience of communicating with someone whose uh, native language is not our own, that we do not share. And you might ask something that you think is perfectly clear, logical, intelligible, understandable. And you're met kind of with... A blank stare or you don't get the response that you expect to hear the correct uh, thing to do in my opinion in that uh, instance is not to just ask the question in the same form again you have to think about what information you're trying to get and rephrase the question so that does take a moment just to think about it reprocess ask again not allow yourself to become frustrated in a high pressure environment like that 
that can be difficult to do, but it's also a necessary thing to do. Yep. Because as we see and hear, actually here in this case, um, because he wasn't changing the way he was trying to get that information, he was becoming more and more frustrated. Right. And if he had just changed the way he was saying it, perhaps he wouldn't have gotten so frustrated. Right. Yeah. You have to, you have to come back. You have to rephrase. Um, you know, you can call this cultural as part of being a New Yorker all you want. If you're working in an environment where you're interacting with many different cultures, you have to understand your own culture and understand that at all times it's not going to be, or the way you behave or the way you act or the way you phrase things is not going to be understood by other, other cultures. That's just part of the job requirement. I'm sorry, can't get around that. And regarding the Asiana uh, thing, you know, the way he said to check with the ramp control to see, he basically said contact ramp control. Yeah. So, you know, that... I could completely understand how Asiana would think, okay, now ramp I'm is in control of yep. where we're, yeah. Uh, not realizing what he meant was contact ramp, find out which taxiway they want you to enter the ramp, and then tell me. You know, it, it uh, it's just frustrating yeah. to listen to the whole yeah. thing because I know what's supposed to happen there. It's because I've been there many, many times, and English is my first language, so I understand, you know, differences in, in the way you say things. Um, but, uh, clearly in this case, uh, that was, uh, not a good show for, yeah. and, you, you know, know, take the rude, uh, terminology aside, there's a professionalism aspect here too, where you're working in a professional environment, whether you're the controller, whether you're the aircraft, you have to be professional on both sides. You can't allow your temper, or your emotions to come into play here. You have a job to do. The job is to communicate and to be understood, figure out how to get that done. Nick, what do you think? I agree with you guys. <laughs> okay. Good. There was if something I, else I wanted to say really about this too, but we'd have to have like <laughs> five minutes of bleeps. <laughs> okay, I get it. Yes, uh, I, I'm there with you, man. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, it happens in it happens other places too. I mean, I, so my job often involves explaining a very similar problem over and over and over again, every 15 minutes to someone different, someone who has a different uh, educational background, cultural background, general knowledge background, language ability background. Um, I think it's frustrating when you're doing the same thing over and over. In your mind, you know exactly what it is you're trying to convey. You think you're using uh, terminology that's that the whole world could understand. You could say that to a kindergartner, they'd have no trouble knowing what you're talking about and they'll just move on and accept it as such. That never happens. Everyone comes at things with a different angle, with a different background. And uh, if you're not, if you're clearly not getting the message across, you, that's not the time to become frustrated. That's the time to come back to yourself, figure out how can you change that? Is there a different way to say it? Ask, you know, maybe not in this situation, but from my standpoint, uh, you, you know, you can always ask for clarification one way or another. I think both parties could have done that there. Um, and, and do what you need to do to be understood. Yeah, and that's why it's so important that uh, we use standardized language in our respective fields. Uh, and in this case, you know, it, it didn't sound to me like we were using standardized instructions or questions. And No, and it's, you know, there may be fatigue at play here as you get towards the end of a shift controlling. I imagine that those controllers are... I mean, you know, your brain just turns to mush at some point where you've done yeah. as much as you can do. And, it, you know, you know what you're supposed to do, but 
you've just reached your capacity for being able to process that anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't excuse anything. Doesn't mean it's it's the right thing to do. But um, there are probably other factors at play here too. All right, let's move on. Seven. Captain Jeff, this is from Larry Gregory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, the article below finally documents the positive benefits of chemtrails. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. Chemtrails. It was only a matter of time. So far, no one has even gotten close to Captain Dana and the you-know-what compound. I won't say a word. And then he uh, gives us the link to this article from cbsnews.com. Controversial spraying method aims to curb global warming. A fleet of 100 planes making 4,000 worldwide missions per year could save the world from climate change. Also, it may be relatively cheap. That's the conclusion of a new peer-reviewed study in environmental research letters. It's the stuff from of science fiction. Planes spraying tiny sulfate particulates into the lower stratosphere around 60,000 feet up. The idea is to help shield the Earth from just enough sunlight to keep temperatures low. The researchers examined how practical and costly a hypothetical solar geoengineering project would be beginning 15 years from now. The aim would be to have the temperature increase caused by heat trapping greenhouse gases. This method would mimic what large volcanoes do. In 1991, Mount Pinatubo erupted in the Philippines. It was the second largest eruption of the 20th century, according to the United States Geological Survey. The second largest volcanic eruption of this century, and by far the largest eruption to affect a densely populated area, occurred at Mount Pinatubo. Oh, that's the... I did it again. I read the caption to the image. Anyway, in total, the eruption injected 20 million tons of sulfur dioxide aerosols into the stratosphere. The USGS said the Earth's lower atmosphere temperature dropped by approximately one degree Fahrenheit. The effect only lasted a couple of years because the sulfates eventually fell to Earth. So anyway, um, to continue here with the article apparently this peer-reviewed study review whatever thinks that um with a large number of airplanes um spending a lot of time uh in the sky at a little over sixty thousand feet so that's that's high and these airplanes have to be kind of big uh and at first they would um in the first year, there would be there would be four thousand missions, inc uh, increasing to just over sixty thousand per year by year fifteen, and uh, uh, they say uh, it's going to be a relatively inexpensive. And I, I don't know if you consider two billion. Um, well, let's see. What does it say? The uh, estimate for development of cost of the aircraft or the airframe to be two billion and 350 million to modify existing engines. I, I don't know. This sounds kind of crazy to me to have specialized airplanes flying almost constantly above 60,000 feet and putting out chemtrails, uh, in this case, uh, what do they call it? Sulfite particulates. 
uh, to kind of mimic what a volcanic eruption would do. And it would be ha- it would have to be something going on continuously because these particles eventually do fall out of the of the atmosphere. What what do you guys think about this? Is this crazy or is this something that actually might help? How, how much do they pay? Mm, that was <laughs> yeah, my thought could do exactly. This. <laughs> <laughs> this well, is... how much do they pay? How much does it cost? Because uh, ideas are all well and good. Um, so an average of two to two and a half billion yeah. per year over the first fifteen years. Two to two and a half billion per year. Yeah, I, that's I guess inexpensive? that would be. That would be shared by, I guess, all the countries no, of the I world. No, I don't think that's expensive. Um, yeah. But uh, compared with all the other things you'll have to do with uh, trying to reinforce the coastline to stop uh, water coming in, all the flooding, uh, all the damage being done to properties because of the uh, additional energy that's now uh, existing in our atmosphere because of the warmer seas. Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, it's a relatively inexpensive method, but... Uh, I think to myself, okay, so we get all this, uh, all these um, sulfates in place, and the temperature starts dropping, and then we have a, a, a big volcanic eruption. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> okay, what do we Just spray unbid. now to yeah. heat everything up? We've got to get rid of that stuff. <laughs> Put up the vacuum cleaners. Um, so yeah, it's it is. I guess it's a, a sticking plaster that you might have to resort to. Uh, I'd rather, much rather we didn't have to go there and we fixed it by not, um, you know, polluting the atmosphere in the first place. But you never know. This may have to be a resort, you know, something we, we resort to in the end. Well, see, Nick is going to be doing his part in May of next year uh, by retiring, by uh, completely reducing his carbon footprint. Yeah, exactly. So I guess, I, I you know, might- maybe... I might still produce a little bit of methane, but not as much as Captain Al. <laughs> Captain Al, he said? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not as much as him. So if we uh, just basically stopped flying these jet airplanes and just got rid of all the airlines, you know, that'll probably make a nice little dent. Well, I don't know, everything. because actually we're contributing towards global cooling already with the amount of contrails that we're putting out there. Uh, don't you remember when uh, part, part of this is all based on when all the aircraft over America were grounded following 9-11? They mm-hmm. worked out that uh, the temperature increase uh, was uh, a significant level. And I'm sure that data has been fed into this modeling. So they go, well, actually, having those aircraft up, leaving contrails around, is helping to cool the Earth. So why don't we just do more of it? All right. Well, I certainly don't want this podcast to become a, um, I mean, an environmental or. Are we know, going whatever. green or not here? Oh Wait. shoot! Thank you. Wow! How did I miss that? We're going green. Right. I'm We're amazed you found the butt. That's pretty quick. He's right on it. It's my new system, man. I've got all <laughs> these right here on my iPad. God, it's yeah. only taking you like five We're years to get green. one of those. Well, it takes me a while to figure <laughs> things out, okay? And it's just going to get worse as time goes on. All right. See what kind of stuff I have to take from these people? My, my friends? We love you, Jeff. Yeah. We do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so I still want to know what, it's, what, it's gonna, what they're going to pay to fly one of these airplanes. Well, so you're thinking about maybe uh, 
leaving retirement? I mean, and, retirement uh, job. You need a side gig in retirement. Yeah, so when exactly you get right. bored and you need, need a little job, bit of a bombing around sixty thousand feet in some wacky airplane sounds cool. But they're not going to start until another fifteen years from now. Oh yeah, oh, but he'll only put, be like you know almost eighty. Yeah, perfectly fine. Yeah, and his dad is what ninety something. Yeah, yeah, he's he young this. still. Perhaps I Although, can do it from my home computer. <laughs> that's true. Remotely piloted aircraft. Yeah. Good point. Wow. They're probably not going to need pilots to do this, right? No, no. Huh. Well, maybe I maybe we'll do this. I'll do the same thing then. <laughs> um, Going into so, business together, I see how it is. This is dangerous. Liz, Liz, where are we now? Two hour Two mark. Hours. Okay. So wait, you know what that means? That means it's time for the best part of the show, which everybody knows is our installment. This week's installment of the old pilot's plane tales, and this one is one. That has been remastered. It's revisited. Joe Gilmore. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The old pilot's plane tales. Who was Joe Gilmore? Did you know that the Brits were intimately involved with the Apollo 11 mission? that landed the first men on the moon. So my question to you is, after that history-making moon landing, what was the first drink to pass the lips of the astronauts once they came out of quarantine? A very quiet gentleman passed away a while ago. His name was Joe Gilmore. The list of the rich and famous that he knew was impressive, but very few of us would ever have heard of him. A softly spoken Ulsterman and devout Catholic, he met almost every US president from 1940 onwards. He was on first-name terms with President Charles de Gaulle and royalty, particularly Princess Margaret, the Queen's late sister. Frank Sinatra called him by his first name, and Errol Flynn, Ernest Hemingway, Laurel and Hardy regularly visited him. During the Second World War, Winston Churchill asked him to look after a special bottle of whiskey, and Joe was prevented from joining up, as his skills were considered essential for keeping up morale on the home front. His special talents also oiled the wheels of industry and commerce, the newspapers, and he helped the United Kingdom to join the European community. So quiet and discreet was he, he was often flown around the world to ply his special form of magic. So what did those astronauts drink once they were led out of quarantine? It had been specially shipped across an ocean for them, for which Neil Armstrong wrote a letter of thanks, and it consisted of one measure of grapefruit juice, one measure of Grand Marnier, two dashes of rose water, shaken well and drained into a wine glass, which was then filled with champagne. It was, of course, the Moonwalker, and Joe Gilmore was the mixologist and head barman of the Savoy Hotel in London who created it 
and nearly 200 other wonderful cocktails that he served to the rich and famous. Joe recalled that at the outbreak of the war, he worked for a few months at the Old Bell Inn at Hurley, Berkshire, where he made his first dry martini. It was not a success. A cocktail book he found under the bar advised mixing half vermouth with half gin, which, he said, elicited a roar of disapproval from the customer, who obviously felt that his gin should have the most fleeting acquaintance with the vermouth. In 1940, he moved to the Savoy as a trainee barman on £3.10 shillings a week. The night that he invented one of his first cocktails, March the 8th, 1941, was a traumatic one. He had been transferred from the Savoy to the Pillow Cay Bar in its sister establishment, the old Barclay Hotel. It was the night that the Café de Paris was bombed, and customers came in in a shocking state, he recalled. Thirty-four people had been killed, and some of the survivors and witnesses crawled from the rubble and stumbled into the Barclay. They said, Joe, give us something with a sting in it, will you? He recalled. So, there and then, I invented the Barclay Stinger. That was one night... I shall never forget. In 1954, Joe invented the Savoy Corpse Reviver, one of a series of hangover cures which made their appearance during, of all things, prohibition. The phrase, set em up Joe, in Sinatra's song, One for My Baby, was how the singer always announced his arrival to Joe at the American bar in the Savoy. He created a special drink for Sir Winston Churchill's 90th birthday called Four Score and Ten, and also in 1975 to mark the first American and Russian link-up in space, the Apollo Soyuz project, Joe mixed the link-up cocktail, which was sent to the US and the USSR for the astronauts to enjoy when they returned from their mission. When told this by NASA, as they linked up in space, they responded, Tell Joe we want it up here. He mixed a cocktail to commemorate Britain's entry to the European Economic Community, using drinks from all the member states, which he called the common market. Sadly, it seems to have been a bit too much for us to handle, and were he still around now, I have no doubt that he would have invented another concoction, equally hard to swallow, called Brexit. Ah, good to hear about good old Joe Gilmore again. Yeah, that was the very first plane tale, that one. It was. And how long ago was that? Like three years ago? Ages. 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 Oh, dear. <laughs> I mean, it was, well, it was like, you know, I was hearing it for the first time again, probably because I didn't listen well the first time. <laughs> oh, that can't be true. Steph. No, it's not true. Might be true. <laughs> In Sorry. fact, it was so long it. ago, it wasn't even called a plain tail back then. That's true. What did we call it anything? No, we didn't call it a thing. It was feedback because I started it off saying, ah. I hope you don't mind a little bit of feedback. A pre, uh, a pre plain tail 
Plain tale. Plain tale. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Good to hear about uh, that one again. Um, this is uh, kind of interesting. Well, to me anyway. Uh, Wayne sent in some feedback. He says, every time I walk past this in Denver uh, International, I have to do a double take. And then he sent a couple of um, uh, images. Uh, and I'm thinking, what is he talking about? Why does he have to do a double take? Well, apparently in the uh, Denver International Airport, there is a really nice display of uh, L. Ray B. Jeppesen, air safety pioneer. Uh, the guy, you know, we talk, we talk about our aviation approach plates and charts. We call them Jeppesen's. Yep. Yeah. So it's a, isn't it L Ray, I think? Um, L Ray. E L R E Y. Yep. I actually did not remember that was his first name, but there you go. And he uh, came up with, well, when he started flying back in the old uh, flying the mail days, I believe, uh, there were no charts and, you know, uh, approach plates and all that kind of stuff. It was all just handwritten notes. And he's kind of kept a little black book of, all of these things, and uh, they uh, became the basis for a more formalized system of keeping track of this information for other pilots, and that's why we call them the Jeppesen charts, or JEPs. And in this photo, in this display case, there is one of these first uh, navigational man uh, manuals, and it says, Captain Jep, and the little black book. And it does look, when you look at it just quickly, it looks like Captain Jeff. I've actually so why... done the same double take there. I believe this is in a, the display case is in a um, pedestrian connection between the main terminal, which is the Jefferson terminal, and the okay. A gates. So if you walk, instead of taking the train, uh, you go past all these different display cases with various historical things and the whole uh, story of Captain Jeff. Captain Jeff. And uh, if he were here today, I'm sure he'd have his own podcast as well. And do you yeah. have a little black book? I, I don't. Well, you know, I used to he, when I was a young probably can't man. tell you what's inside of it. So <laughs> yeah, I was curious. Did you add scores to your little black book? <laughs> Let's move on. Um, <laughs> so, hey, Wayne, you weren't the only one that had to do a double take in the Denver International Airport. It turns out that... Um, a United Airlines captain was on his layover uh, at the Denver International Airport, right next to it at the Westin Hotel. And he was uh, caught out of uniform. And you're thinking, that's well, not so what's, unusual. What's wrong with that? I mean, I've seen uh, pilots. I mean, walking neither all the Captain time. Jeff or Captain Nick are in uniform right now. I mean, yeah, at least we're out of uniform. Flying. This guy, though, Steph, yeah. was completely out of his uniform and anything else. Uh. Yeah. And, um, but, you mean so he wasn't wearing he... his uniform shreddies? No, I don't think he was wearing a stitch of clothing. Oh, Lord. How did he get caught out without well, his uniform on, dear Captain? Jack? Allegedly, he was uh, strutting about in front of one of the hotel's 10th floor windows. According to the arrest report, first obtained by Denver ABC affiliate KMGH, the pilot was charged with indecent exposure, noting, quote, the suspect did open the window to his hotel room, which overlooks the hotel plaza. I think what they mean is probably the the window drapes uh, and shades, which overlooks the hotel plaza. And in full view of the public did stand in his window, fully nude, exposing him himself 
and his genitalia to the general public, which I guess is part of his self. For his part, Captain Andrew Collins admits looking out the window while in the buff, but says there was absolutely nothing lewd about his actions, and he was not aware that he could be seen by passengers inside the terminal. Uh, he said, I was getting ready for a shower and was talking on the phone, and it was a beautiful morning, and I opened up the curtains to my window, and I couldn't see the terminal. According to the 54-year-old 54 54-year-old's attorney, while the window in question is visible from the terminal, the terminal isn't easily seen from the room, leading the veteran pilot to believe he had more privacy than was actually the case. A TSA employee, however, told police that the pilot could be clearly seen, quote, touching himself and waving at the officer. <laughs> What do you think? He could have been been waving at the person next to the officer. How does the officer know he was waving at him? That's that's a good point. Uh, Some witnesses said I was dancing, gyrating, and waving. He told the newspaper, "I'm completely innocent. It's really unfortunate that it happened at all." (laughs) And he might have just been having a scratch, you know, like you do when you're (laughs) standing in front of the window, like you do. You like know? you do. Like you do. No one has ever done that before. Ever. <laughs> ever. So, so uh, you know, he you know, he didn't deny that that he was in fact in front of the window uh, with no clothes on. And uh so um they they handcuffed him and took him away. And now the interesting thing, and I was reading uh, some other source uh about this incident, and uh, they mention uh, toward the end that um Hmm. That name sounds kind of familiar to me. And apparently Captain Andy Collins uh, notified everybody that he was running for ALPA president uh, in July, I think, of this year. Um, Below, find a letter to the ALPA board of directors announcing the candidacy of Captain Andy Collins for ALPA president. He's a staunch advocate for protecting our profession as North American aviators. Um, and uh, there they go on to talk about his his run for, but you know, believe it or not, after this incident, uh, he he removed himself from running as president of the Airline Pilots Association. Interesting hmm. turn of events there. Yes, <laughs> it can't really help yeah. your. So your, I guess what we take away from this is. Um, if you're going to be in your uh, birthday suit in your hotel room, perhaps just leave those curtains drawn until you're wearing something a little bit more covering. Now, you know, you have, there are some windows that are made so that you cannot, you know, you can't assume that nobody can see in, but maybe he was thinking that that, you know, those reflective uh, tint windows yeah i mean you know i'm gonna have to rethink my uh procedure even if you're uh, like up on the 20th floor and you can't see anything around you just you know think of the birds (laughs) poor birds (laughs) poor birds (laughs) good point stuff i mean yeah think of the birds that might be the title for this episode lovely thank you (laughs) it says here please feel free to contact me at your convenience oh yeah, well, I went to the web page uh, set up for uh, his campaign, and uh, it just says nothing is there anymore. We couldn't find the page you oh. were looking for. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, see, now I feel that was lost in translation there, because in the UK, we call uh, a public toilet a convenience. Oh, well, we don't here. That's why. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> 
Wait, what? Yeah, a convenience is is a uh, is a polite name for a, for a toilet. For I a see. public toilet. I guess. And you give so us a bad time I about saying restroom. It was the end of his. I know, end. right? <laughs> Come on, that's the same thing. It's all. Yeah. But 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 it obviously it's not common. Otherwise, you would have heard of it. No, yeah, I've definitely so never heard of. That he finished off his uh, his campaign uh, blurb with going. Please feel free to contact me at your convenience. <laughs> at your toilet. <laughs> I, I, that is funny because I think any one of us would say say things the same way Captain Collins did in his uh, sign off there. Yeah. Here in the US. That that is a common way to say contact me at your Let's convenience. Contact me at your convenience. Yeah. At your earliest convenience. At your earliest and definitely does not refer to the toilet. But now, Steph, we're gonna, every time we say that, I, you have ruined it for me forever, yeah. Nick. I just want you to know. Well, there you go. I'm so just think toilet. Here we go. Dictionary convenience. Uh, number one, the state of being able to proceed with something without difficulty to a public toilet. Wow. Is this like Never the UK only dictionary? Oxford. Yeah. Uh, it happens to be. It doesn't say. Well, it's the Google, but it does say brackets British brackets a public. Ah, there we go. Yeah. for example the large council car park next to the public conveniences okay well now we know i've learned something today yes can we end we the show do. now no, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> why not <laughs> it, I, I i must say it's pretty much going down the convenience well there you go well I'll, i suppose i'll be less confused the next time i'm in the uk and someone says that word to me mm -hmm. good i'm very glad to hear it Yes. <laughs> I've done my job today, then. Okay, now, this next one, item 10. Is this Michelle, Mikael, or Michael? Uh, well, it looks like Michelle. Michelle, Michelle. Dupres. It looks it's like... The, okay. Michael, yeah. Michelle. Okay. Oh, I see. He put in parentheses if I just read it. Um, no, I didn't. Mike Delta. Michael Dupres. Oh, I'm just going to assume it's Mike. Um, that's what we're calling you, Mike. Uh, it is Mike Delta here from Australia. In the interests of keeping the quid pro quo going between yourselves and Opposing Bases podcast, I just wanted to let you know that I learned of your podcast from Opposing Bases. So whilst you have assisted them in widening their audience, at least in my case, they have widened yours. I've been listening to you for the last year or so and also double-backed and caught up on a lot of episodes singling out the ones that interest me. Uh, that should eliminate most of them. Then. <laughs> so he's listening to look at then. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I have given up on the idea of listening to all of them. Although now that I see the plain tales as a separate download on your website, I have no reason to listen to your regular show. No, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I will try. <laughs> I will try to listen to all of them as I love the stories and history Nick tells in them. I also now know why an older colleague at work has nicknamed me Biggles. Okay. I recently passed my private pilot check ride. Yay! Ooh. Well done. Good it's job. been a dream of mine since I was a boy. My father worked for Sabina Airlines years ago. That's uh, the Belgian airline, right? Yep. Okay. No longer uh, then Pan. I remember Sabina, actually. Then Pan Am. Of course, I'm not a young man and United here in Sydney. So we did quite a bit of traveling back in the days of 707s, DC-10s, 747s, etc. I'm looking forward to taking him on a scenic flight around the southeast coast of New South Wales in Australia. That's where I used to live. 
Cool. Uh, very cool. Also, for G-Man, also known as Glaucus, in Australia, I believe you need a minimum of 1,500 hours for the Australian major commercial airlines, unless accepted through one of the uh, one of those um, or one of these new cadet programs. But as the team said, with the current situation of the pilot shortage, best to contact the airlines directly to see whether they would take a 40-year-old. I think that's good advice. The Royal Australian Air Force, the RAAF, will take people as a pilot up to the age of around 50, I believe. Wow, that's old. So that's an option, although that may take you away from your family. I found out about this while discussing with a recruiting officer for my daughter, and he asked me if I was interested to join. I wasn't sure if he was on a commission or something. That that seems like really old to me, doesn't it, you, Nick? Uh, yeah, it does, because our guys have to retire at 55, so mm. I'm going, Ugh. Yeah, by the time yeah. you're done with training, well, you know, you, you always got you always have to be careful with what a recruiter says. Yeah, exactly right. And don't drink the beer. That's why tankards have a glass bottom. <laughs> okay, you, you heard of that? No. Well, it used to be the old way of recruiting was you accepted the queen's shilling. So if the recruiter gave you uh, a shilling, then that meant you were now uh, in the army or in the navy or whatever. Oh. Uh, so uh, one of the tricks they used to do to get you to take the shilling was to drop one into your beer. And as you finished your beer, you would go, oh, what's this? And you'd shake it out, and it would be a <laughs> shilling in your hand. And then, oh, the recruiter would go, ah, you've taken the king's shilling. <laughs> so now you're in the army. So they had a glass bottom. So you could look up into the bottom of your beer and see whether there was a shilling sitting in there. Oh, how clever. So cool. much useless trivia on this show tonight. <laughs> yeah. I'm loving it. it. <laughs> loving it. Yeah. No, I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's the old story. It's a good well, story. It's, it's true to me now. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, um, Mike says, uh, anyway, thank you all for a very entertaining and informative podcast. And with my newfound license, I need clear skies. P.S. I tasted that durian fruit in Penang, Malaysia while working there. Besides the smell, it also has a bad aftertaste if you burp for six to eight hours. <laughs> Jeez, that's a long burp. I might <laughs> only last a few burp. seconds. You might want to check with a medical professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if your burps go on longer than an hour, I should really start to worry. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. That's what happens when you send us feedback. <laughs> send more. Yes. yes. Not burps. Uh, good hearing from you. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, uh, the opposing bases folks were able to point you our way. We do appreciate that. Tom writes in, just thought I'd share this as it's mildly aviation related and pretty entertaining, particularly the fear of flight bit. If you get a chance, it's well worth a watch. Michael McIntyre is a well-known, family-friendly British comedian with a Saturday night show. Uh, part of the show features a prank played on an unwitting member of the public who on Friday, the 27th of November, happened to be a British Airways pilot. It uh, turns out he's also a pretty good singer, too. I think a duet with Jeff would work well. No, this guy's a much better singer than I am. Uh, I thought it would be wise for me to send in some lighthearted feedback this time, as my last contribution to the monitored approaches debacle put the cat among the pigeons somewhat. Enjoying the show as always, and uh, really appreciate the effort that goes into it. May the port always be passed to the left. 
Ah, he listens to those plain tales, doesn't he? Ah, silly man. Tom H. And uh, I have a little snippet. So you need to, oh, excuse me. The, the beer is talking again. Sorry. It lasts for 68 hours. Make sure you check with your <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine only lasted for a couple seconds. <laughs> but I can try harder. Not six, eight hours, though. Um, anyway, the uh, link that he gave us was a, a YouTube video, which we'll have in the show notes. And you can watch the entire thing. And it is very entertaining. Uh, and uh, the basic story is this BA pilot uh, is also a singer. And his family basically recommended that he be part of this. Um, uh, what do they call it? Um, I it's forgot what that. Pardon me? TV show. Lots yeah, but I'm thinking the, the part of the PT show, uh, the TV show was the uh, yeah, the prank or whatever. They, uh, they they had an actual name for it. But um, anyway, he was brought into uh, a building or actually part of the same building, I guess. But it was uh, the whole idea was that he was part of this group of pilots that were uh, kind of running a, a little seminar for people to have fear of flying. And, uh, and, but of course all the people in this group, everybody actually, except for this unwitting pilot were, uh, were actors. And, uh, at some point they said, you know, we have this simulator that's going to simulate turbulence. Would you like to come over here and help me set this up? And so they walk him through all these hallways and everything else. And it turns out that the simulator, this cock, I mean, not cockpit, but a cabin airplane cabin simulator was actually on the stage of this big auditorium and uh and so uh then he was surprised they, they drew the the curtain away and he's sitting there in the cab in the cabin in the passenger seat looking out on the audience and then he knew you know that he was on the show i guess he did and, look uh, th thoroughly gobsmacked he really did i'm thinking to myself you know does he really kind of because in the in the part where they were showing him in the class, some of the people were making really ridiculous uh, comments and asking very, very ridiculous questions. And he was kind of like trying hard not to crack up, you know, and I'm thinking at what point is he realizing that this is some, something's wrong about this? Something is not quite right. But uh, as you said, Nick, he really did look gobsmacked uh, that he was <laughs> yeah. surprised that he was on the stage. And uh, I'll just play a little snippet because I don't want to get in trouble of uh, the very last uh, part of the song he sang at the very end of the show. Not bad for a pilot, huh? No, I think he's he's got potential there. Oh yeah, yeah, he Very could quit his day job. I think. I think so too. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you, Tom, for pointing that out and watch the whole thing. I think that uh, the the very end was you know rewarding, but I think uh, watching the entire thing will make it that much better. Uh, Timo sent us some feedback. So you want to hear about it? Or let's see, should I read this first? Yeah, Timo was in the chat room earlier. I wonder if he's still Oh, was he? Oh, yeah, shoot. He no, you haven't seen him for a little while, but he was there earlier before we switched. Oh. Okay, well, I hope he gets to hear his feedback. He sent us audio feedback. He says, hello, Captain Jeff. Hello, APG crew. This is Timo from Japan. I'm actually German, 
which you'll probably hear in the attached audio feedback. But I'm working on my PhD, which is also aviation related, and have been living here in Japan for quite a while. I've been listening to your show for over a year now, so I thought I'd shoot you some audio feedback. And in this feedback, uh, he talks about what he's going to talk about. And uh, you know what? Let me just play his feedback, and then I'll end with uh, the last paragraph or so of what he wrote to us. So take it away, Timo. Hello, APG crew. This is Timo from Japan. I've been listening to your show for almost a year now, so I thought it's finally time to give you some feedback. And I wanted to make it audio feedback, even though I don't have a soothing voice as Captain Jeff has or the fine British gentleman accent as Captain Nick does. But bear with me for a little bit. Actually, I previously listened to the Omega Tau podcast, you know, the German podcast made by Marcus, and he mentioned you quite a couple of times in his podcast, so I thought, mm, give it a try, and I really liked it. So, as I'm about to start my training for my private pilot's license, your show has been a great companion through all the studying process, but more about that later. As you all know, if you want to get a private pilot license, you will need a medical. So, and as many listeners to the show refer, what does one do if he has the ABG syndrome? So when I filled out the MedExpress, I was thinking like, hmm, are you supposed to enter the ABG syndrome in here? And of course, I didn't. This could be a joke that backfires. But still, I was curious to listen if my AME would know what the APG syndrome is. And this is a rough translation from German. But when I asked him if he knew what the APG syndrome was, he smiled at me and said, if I was talking about an auditory-induced syndrome that manifests in weekly episodes, I should not be concerned. However, he continued, I should closely monitor on which side of the 50% accuracy mark any information obtained by the syndrome is. Which brings me to episode 349. In episode 349, you talked about the Embraer incident in Portugal with the um, loss of control and the aftermath. Luckily, there the plane was able to land. And Captain Nick mentioned Japan Airlines Flight 123, which wasn't an incident, unfortunately an accident, and crashed into a mountain. Captain Nick said that all souls on board perished, which is not entirely true. Actually, four people survived. The real sad thing about that is during the loss of control part and when the pilots tried to rescue the plane, um, US military at Yokota Air Base um, was monitoring the flight path and they were offering their help in search and rescue to the Japanese authorities. And they actually were able to locate the um, crash site. However, Japanese authorities declined all help asked the um, American military, the US military, to retreat and continue the search on their own. However, they determined that nobody could have survived that crash and decided to further delay the research, uh, the rescue operation. And so, unfortunately, until the morning, only four people survived this horrible crash, which still until today, if we only count accidents, so no terroristic attacks, is the highest soul loss in a single plane crash accident. Anyhow, now that I did my part to the 50% accuracy mark, let's get back to the more happier topics. 
And like I said, I'm about to get my private pilot license. And actually, in two weeks, I will come to your beautiful country of the United States of America, pretty close to you. I'll be in St. Augustine, Florida, close to Jacksonville, and of course, Georgia. Which brings me to another topic you mentioned, and this is radio communication. And you mentioned that there are controllers out there that are more lax, more strict. And you mentioned Mr. Happy from Atlanta. So I'm asking you, do you recognize this voice? Exit Niner 84, clear to Kilo Papa, Sierra Papa. The 205 departure procedure, and then is filed. Climb and maintain 7,000. Expect flight level 3105 minutes after departure. Departure frequency will be 127.15, squawk 3272. Yes, yeah, the Toro 5, ASPILE 7,000, 5 minutes after, and uh, 2715, 3272 for Catch at 984. Uh, exactly, at 984, uh, missed a couple things. Uh, the clearance limit, Kilo Papa, Sierra Papa, if you said that, I didn't hear it. And uh, you can expect flight level 310 will be 5 minutes after departure, sir. Yes, sir, the flight plan to uh, Kilo Sierra Papa Sierra, or excuse me, Papa Sierra Papa, and flight level 3105 after. And uh, didn't catch calls on that last transmission. That's for Executive 984, clearance limit, Kilo, Papa, Sierra Papa. And expect flight level 310 will be five minutes after departure. Okay. In all fairness, this was taken from Vasa Aviation from YouTube and is probably a different controller. But even though he's quite strict, as we just heard, he's staying polite with it. And I think that's okay. Especially for a person like me who is currently studying for his private certificate. Being by the rules is something that's quite helpful. However, I can still see how you guys who are more experienced say, does it have to be that strict? Everything was conveyed and he knows what I mean. So I see that. And I guess this comes with experience. So on my side, if I go on a solo flight, I'll make sure to let the controller know that I'm a student pilot. Not in the hope that he will go easy on me, but that everybody knows around that there's a person that is not experienced as they are. Anyhow. I think it's time to conclude my feedback. So let me finish with two questions. First, as I will be close to Georgia, do you have any recommendations to airports I could fly to? Let's say for a $100 hamburger. I was recommended Simmons Islands, but I'm open to any suggestions. And finally, from your experience, from your basic training, what was your most memorable advice your flight instructor gave you? Thank you very much for your hard work. I'm really appreciating it and looking forward to many, many more episodes. Blue skies and tailwinds. Sayonara, tschüss und bye-bye. Your Timo. Timo, great audio feedback. Thank you very much for that. You have a great sense of humor. And uh, and you're here with us still in the chat room. That's awesome. Um, so... And I, in the chat room, listening to his feedback, I said, is that really true? That Did the AME really know about our show? But he said, no, unfortunately, that's the lower side of the 50% mark. <laughs> he made that up. Backstory, though. Enjoy. Yeah. Very good. Um, so, yeah. Um, let's see. I'm you know who, um, I'm just going to jump right in with suggestions yeah. for his uh, where to yeah. go to get a $100 hamburger. Um Unfortunately, I've not flown into a lot of the general aviation airports down that way. He did mention uh, St. Simons Island. 
which I have been into, but I don't recall that there's a uh, restaurant on the field. I could be wrong. But about there that. are a bunch that are close by. Yes, yes. It's very easy to get to places nearby. I'm sure they have crew cars and or taxi and or Uber or whatever. And it's a great little airport to fly into right on the beach. I highly recommend going there if you're going to be in Jacksonville because it's not far at all. Um, wondering if Dispatcher Mike might know some uh, general aviation airports in that area because I know he flies down to Florida occasionally for sun and fun, that type of thing. He's probably been into a few down that way that might be closer. He might have some recommendations for you uh, if he's willing to help out and send in some suggestions or send them directly to Timo. Just a thought. Yeah. Or if you're listening to this show and you're familiar with a, a place or two that might be uh, worth visiting uh, for Timo, please uh, send it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com and uh, we'll talk about it on the next show or shows. Yeah. It's coming up soon, December 12th yeah. to 16th. But I mean, that's a couple weeks worth where um, if some recommendations come in, we can get them over to Timo. So. Yeah, but St. Simon's Island definitely. Definitely go there. That was a, I've been in there. It's a really nice, uh, small airport to fly into. Yeah. I'm impressed with Timo. He's doing an aviation related PhD in Japan. Wow. That sounds a wee bit complicated and difficult. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It does. Five years. Mm. Regarding the, the air traffic controller. Uh, no, that was not our own, our very own air traffic controller in Atlanta. Uh, but it was very, very similar to the same kind of thing. And, you know, on one hand, you're thinking, well, you know, he understood, you know, recognized the voice of the guy. He knew it was this. But uh, on the other hand, you know, if you're going to do it by the book, then make sure you get it right. So I can see both sides of the coin on this one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could argue that was perhaps a little annoying, but I don't think he was necessarily rude about it. He wasn't yeah. chastising him. He was just being a little bit particular. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the answer yeah. is get your readbacks right the first time, and then you won't be asked to do them again. That's true. Good point. And anything else that he talked about there i don't think so yeah i would recommend that if you're filling out any kind of a medical application and it asks about things from which you might be suffering i would definitely not mention the apg no that's grounds for disqualification 100 percent. yeah psychological yeah yeah so there's your advice thanks timo and uh, hopefully we'll have some some more information for you excuse me my, my chest is making noise now. I thought it was more burps. <laughs> Six to eight hours. No, it's, the, uh, it's all the congestion I have in my chest. Uh, that's, I'm sorry, like you're a, still suffering with that. another person living inside of me. And it's not a baby. Um, <laughs> let's see. How, what, where, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I was Liz, just going to let me. it go. And, uh, it just <laughs> yeah, got please weird. do. <laughs> it just got really weird. Yeah. Um. At what point are we now? A little over two hours. That was a little while ago. Anybody have any ideas? So she sent that at 7.15. It is now 7.53. So we're probably coming up on the 2.45 mark. Yeah. About 15 minutes left. Okay. Hmm. I'm just looking at some of these last items in here. This is a 51 second audio. 
It says easy question. Is it truly oh, easy? I have not. Okay. Listened to it. Well, we're going to find out. Surprise. Alex, I think Alex isn't Alex the one that um, sent us the question about the Muscle Shoals Airport and started that whole oh, gosh. three or four episode Probably. Uh, beating of dead horse. I think it is. But uh, you know what? We're, I'm Are just we going to go take ahead. The risk? I'm going to roll the dice right now, and here we go. Good afternoon. This is Alex from Northwest Alabama. Hopefully, this is a very simple and straightforward question for you all to answer. In my previous job, I flew hundreds of flights on what I'll call Acme Heart, and never once did I notice any atypical or anomalous situations occur. Uh, but my assumption is that from time to time, there are moderate to serious events uh, that pertain to equipment malfunctions or crew error that the uh, the crew has to handle but never makes it past the cockpit door and i guess my question is how frequently do these events occur uh, and can you give some examples of things that you've had to work out or that you've heard of throughout your career um, that again the passengers really never notice um, thanks for answering my question and as always have a great day hey that is a, an easy question and it's a great it's an easy answer too no nothing ever happens Let's go on with the item number 14. <laughs> what? 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 Where's your buzzer? <laughs> yeah, okay. We're going to find it here. So I, I was pretty quick on the uh, draw before, but uh, it took me a little bit longer this time. Um, yeah. Okay. You want to, you want to be, uh, you want to go, go down to the, the truth here. Um, yeah. There are things that happen. Uh, that are, are either mechanical malfunctions that um, aren't something that get the airplane conditioned to a point where uh, we, we anticipate we're going to have to uh, do something like an emergency evacuation or, or you know, something serious. Uh, in fact, a lot of times a situation may, may occur and it gets to the point where we never even actually have communicated with the flight attendants to even give them some inkling that there might be something going on that they might be, they might need to be aware of. And if you nip it in the bud, as uh, uh, what was the uh, character on uh, Andy Griffith? Nip it, nip it in the bud. Come on, uh, what's his name? Uh, who? Which one? Barney. Barney. Was it Barney? Barney Fife. Is he yeah. one of the Flintstones? Nip it, nip it no, in the no, bud. No, Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you got to it quickly and, uh, the situation resolved, it may be one of those things where if for the moment it might be something pretty serious and then, you know, taking care of the situation either, uh, you know, from, yeah, Barney five. Thank you, Ivan. Um, through the uh, QRH or whatever, uh, then you go, okay, everything's under control. Uh, there's no need, you know, <laughs> if we, made a PA regarding everything. You know, hey, folks, I just want to let you know that the co-pilot over here just made a really stupid error in the flight management system, and we descended without clearance. And uh, But it's okay. Air traffic control is not uh, going to an issue a violation. It, this is not going to instill confidence in, in uh, you know, in the passengers there. So uh, you're right to suspect that it's not like it's happening all the time, but the, I'm sure that there are instances where we... Uh, encounter something, but we take care of it as we are trained to do. And there is absolutely no reason for anybody to know anything about it. As long Wouldn't as you, you don't agree? have a uh, hot mic to the PA system. Yeah, that's probably yeah, not Oops. Good. Yeah. Oops. Oops. I was just kidding. <laughs> Nick, what do you think? 
Well, yeah, most minor ones, unless they're going to involve a return or a diversion, um, you're not really helping anyone by telling anyone about it because there's going to be some nervous flyers on board and they won't, uh, the vast majority of people won't understand the implications and the rest probably won't believe what we're saying because they naturally assume that everyone in authority lies to them all the time. So there's always that problem. Um, I think the worst probably I've had was an engine failure coming over the uh, Atlantic but on a four-engine airplane, that's not an enormous drama. Uh, it wasn't like it, it exploded and fell off the wing. It just ran down. So uh, we didn't bother saying anything. We landed and taxied in. Um, I asked the fire trucks to stay, uh, you know, back. Uh, we only just declared a pan anyway to stay discreetly back. And we parked up and... The first person that came roaring onto the flight deck was the station manager saying, what if you tell the passengers? What if you tell the passengers? I said, well, we didn't tell him anything. He said, oh, thank heaven for that. Uh, he was just concerned that he would be faced with a lot of questions and, you know, social media problems, et cetera. So quite honestly, if it doesn't severely affect the safety and they, the passengers aren't required to do anything unusual, like, uh, you know, do a, an extra safety brief or something like that, then I see there's little to be gained by uh, letting them know. If it's something obvious, like you're now having to dump fuel or whatever, then an explanation is obviously required. And if part of the aircraft systems have obviously failed, then, um, you know, that that is also a good thing. So um, if you get the word out rather than letting people guess if it's something that they can observe, then that's that's the best way to deal with it. But otherwise, I'm a great believer in um, us dealing with it because that is, quite honestly, our job is to conduct the flight with all the safety uh, backup systems we have safely, put the aircraft safely on the ground, and then they don't have to worry. It was not a problem. Absolutely. Now you have smoke in the cockpit, rapid decompression, oxygen masks falling, an engine out there that's on fire. You know, obviously those are the kind of thing that uh, people notice, <laughs> yeah. man, that's when you need yeah. to say something about it. Yeah, the first officer running up and down the cop the cabin, you know, screaming. That, that sometimes, you know, needs an explanation. But... That draws attention, yeah. 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 But it's a good question. <laughs> All right. And it was a Easy question yeah, and like a relatively easy answer. Send more of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not the ones about the traffic pattern. Okay. <laughs> and uh, just pretty simple, straightforward question too, which yeah. I would have. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't realize what a can of worms that was. Um, I didn't either, actually. Um, if I'd known, I probably wouldn't have read it or played it. Um, Steve, very quickly, this will be our last one. Uh, and the reason why I'm doing it is because this is Captain Steve, uh, who is flying for Acme Purple. I believe this is him, isn't it? Let's see. Note details. Yes. Captain Steve Horn. Um, the incident of the landing short um, in Indonesia. I think that was also, was that all? No, that was the uh, Aaron uh, Nagiri. No. Um that was the one that landed short, but uh, they rescued a lot of which one? Everyone but one. They, Everyone they but one. Yeah, yeah. One yeah, yeah. Learns, different, yeah. different incident. Yeah, yeah. So that one was also a seven thirty-seven, though. Um, landed short, and 
the uh, he sent a link to a YouTube video of some U.S. Marines that happened to be there, stationed there, I guess, that uh, went out on a, a little, what do they call those little inflatable boats? A dinghy? Yeah. Uh, or a dinghy, I guess. A little inflatable boat is what they Yeah, call those are little inflatable boat things. Yeah. And uh, with a little a engine on the back. And they, they headed out to uh, help with the rescue of the passengers. And it's really interesting to see, you know, they arrive and, you know, help uh, the passengers uh, get out of the uh, airplane. And it's very, very interesting. But really, if I played it, uh, it wouldn't really make a lot of sense because you really can't tell what's going on unless you look at the video itself. So, um very cool, though, that the U.S. Marine Corps came in there. To, and also some local fishermen as well in other boats were around. And you can see them in the video as well. People helping people. Kind because of that's what best of yeah. humanity types of things. Yes, exactly. It, it was almost amusing where the Marines pitched up on the other side of the airplane that all the other boats were. So they couldn't see anyone else. And when they got there, they were just like, there was nobody. There were a few escape hatches open. Yeah, they they looked in and the airplane was empty. It's pretty much already <laughs> empty. Yeah, it was just like one bloke. We're there. here to help. <laughs> oh, wait, no. oh, I guess we're late. They go around the other side and oh, oh, okay. There's all these boats around here. Then okay, fair enough. <laughs> all right, let's go back to the beach and drink our beer again. <laughs> go play with our rib. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's show. Um, Thanks, everybody, for downloading the show and listening to it. If you're new, uh, welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy show, and uh, we invite you to become part of our community, which is really the best part of this whole thing. Uh, trust me, uh, the show is just here to support the community. And if you want to learn more about that, head over to the AirlinePilotGuy.com website. And again, you can learn um, about the community and also about the co-host, the crew, and um merchandise and the coffee fund and so much more. Oh, plain tales. You can listen to uh, individual plain tale episodes if you'd like, and even subscribe to that as a separate feed, which I definitely encourage people to do. And if you do, by the way, just take the time. If you have a moment to uh, leave a great review of plain tales for captain Nick on iTunes. Yeah. Appreciate that. And, uh, let's see. We also have apps for our, phones our ios and android devices on their respective app stores just do a search for airline pilot guy and you'll find the app for free no ads or anything else and it's a great way to interact with the community and listen to the show and more and we're also on social media you can find us on twitter we're at apg crew you can uh, interact with the crew there find our individual twitter information pinned to the top of the page also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy uh, more ways to interact with members of the community there, share stories about inf um, interesting aviation events. And I think we're going to pass it over to Hillel now, who yeah. has summoned, and he's going to tell us about Slack. Hello. Hello. Come here. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and Plain Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled 
H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, Wan Wan, Echo One, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. And, uh, you know, Hillel does this at my convenience. <laughs> you <know>, bad. <laughs> True word. Well, go back to the convenience. In your convenience. Just and, at or about in the vicinity of. <laughs> Until next time. Wishing you clear skies and clear chest. Unlimited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Good day.